It's Christmas time again, suckers, and that's where me, Maury Clawhammer, comes in. I'm here to show you how you can get brownie points with the family and friends and ensure that you have quality podcasts to listen to when you're supposed to be working. So, fellas, what you do is you go to the twotruefreaks.libsyn.com, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, and then you shop through the Two True Freaks Amazon link. That way you get presents for your old lady and kids and the freaks get a little cut at no freaking cost to you. You get the stuff you want and ensure that fine Demonzacorp podcasts like this one don't have to steal from peaceful citizens just to put food in their yaps. Got it? And ladies. Oh, come on. Let's face it. There's no ladies listening to this sausage fest. And while you're at it, why don't you buy a t-shirt? They're made out of cotton, not dog crap. Jeez, whatever. Merry Christmas. Hello again, two true freaks. Cobra Commander here. And once more, I have an email from one of your listeners. This one goes, Dear Cobra Commander, With your beautiful voice, uh, When are we going to be getting a podcast of your own for us to listen to? Signed, El... El Jacone? That must be El Jacone. I'm, I'm going with El Jacone. El Jacone! Or, or whatever. You will not be hearing a podcast from me anytime soon, because unlike people like you, who have all the time in the world to pimp ridiculous giant monster movie internet radio shows, I have an actual job! Now, admittedly, my job is pretty awesome, and I am my own boss and get to set my own hours. But when I'm busy shuttling between Springfield and the Cobra Embassy and Broken Beach and whatever backwater country that we're operating in this week, I don't have time to talk and make all sorts of nonsense on, on an internet radio podcast show thing. So no, you will not be hearing a podcast from Cobra Commander anytime soon. Thanks for writing. Catch you next time, freaks. Cobra Commander out. I find their illogic and foolish emotions constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! Two! Three! Along the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty lipped, worm headed sack of monkey shit. Ah! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner. He's an asshole. And Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Yes.
Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Yes. And we are rounding out. We haven't given this month a name. It's sort of Christmas month. Merry fucking Christmas, Two True Freaks <laughs> month. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we didn't, you know, we've been given all these last few months snappy names and stuff. I was just thinking and, what a sweet little family episode this was going to be in like three we'll seconds bleep. in, dropping the F-bomb. We'll bleep it. It's a family episode. I thought about it just as I was saying that too, and, I'm, and I could almost hear the bleep in my head. I do actually kind of like that though. But, <laughs> it, just, it just works coming from us, I think, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> So it's been just like last year at this time. It's been a commentary full, you know, filled month. And why not, you know, finish it off with a commentary? I think uh, I think we started a, a nice little holiday tradition here. You know, it's funny because I, I just guessed it on a, on another show. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to go up, so I'm not sure if it'll be out at the time this episode is is uh, going to be out or not. You know, the one that we're recording right now. But I was uh, a guest on Thomas Mattis's show recently and uh one of the first questions on on his show it was it was a really cool concept on his show it was uh he's celebrating uh basically he's doing like a combination like christmas and hanukkah show and he was calling it uh i think he called it eight crazy nights or eight crazy shows or something like that and he asked eight questions related to christmas or hanukkah depending on your faith and uh and I believe it was the very first round of questions was like, what kind of Christmas traditions do you do? And I didn't want to sound like a like a shameless shill for the show, but I did consider, you know, mentioning that, well, you know, we've kind of made it a tradition, you know, to, to do Christmas shows. And I don't think I ever did mention it, but kind of now I kind of wish I had because, you know, originally our, our first two, you know, can you believe this is our fourth Christmas? For Two True Freaks. That's right. We started, we started up right in around. August, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually, even though we, we're only a little over three years into this, this is actually our fourth Christmas it's... doing the show. And the first two years, we did the uh, the Christmas Craptaculars, which I just recently went back and listened to. And guys, if you, you know, listeners, if you guys have not heard those, <laughs> go back and listen to them. Because, you know, I think they hold up really well, especially the first one. I mean, they're both great, but the first one just, it really is, I, I think it's of a level of something like, say, Charlie Brown or Rudolph. Not in, not in like, its family friendliness, because believe me, it is not for little ears. But just in the fact, that it's eminently re-listenable. You know what I mean? It's definitely something you could break out every year and go, oh, it's just nice to listen to this again. You and know? it'll make you break out every year, too. <laughs> it has a timeless, seriously, it has a timeless quality to it. We don't really, uh, there, I don't, I can't yeah, think Yeah, time just seems to slow to almost <laughs> to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm serious. I don't think we we really discussed anything terribly topical in that show. We really just talked about us and about Christmas, Christmas and what it meant to us. And uh, and it's it, it's a classic. I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I enjoyed. Like I said, I enjoyed them both. But really, the first one, uh, I, I think it's some of the the best stuff we ever did. Quite honestly, I think I think it, the first one was definitely designed to be like the one that gets replayed all the time. Right. You know. We'll the make second a bunch one, of sh- I would say the second one from about the halfway point <laughs> to the end is on a par with the with the best parts of the first one. I think the the thing that that 
knocked the the second one down a little bit for me was the Santa Claus segment. Yeah, well, parts it was of that drunk. really worked and parts of it really didn't. The part where where Santa starts ripping on me, that's great. That's hysterical because I think I actually did some pretty good uh, some pretty good acting in, in parts <laughs> of that. But I forgot. I have to re-listen to that. I it, it was listened it was to good. it since it, it actually happened, so I don't really remember a whole lot of it. But those were so much work. I remember those Ooh. being work on a level of like episode 200. Yes. So last year, you know, because you were actually here and everything, we, let's face it, we kind of cheap slacked off and just <laughs> did commentaries. But, you know, I like that idea. And so we came up with the idea of, hey, let's kind of keep that going and, and do that for Christmas this year. And I, I think we've started something. I, I We might really have to struggle next year to to you know find things that tie in any way shape or form to the actual holiday of christmas star wars and star trek yeah because we pretty much covered the 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 christmas and stars record in the in the first craptacular Mm -hmm. and then there's a holiday special and that's about all you got that's pretty much it yeah from from there on yeah well, maybe next year we'll do just regular. Maybe we can dig up an issue of the Ewoks comic or something and, <laughs> and bring it to life through the magic of audio or something, you know. You know, they won't remember a year from now that we threw this idea out there. So you know what I'm thinking? I think we should just completely BS our way through a fake like Star Wars Christmas or Star Trek Christmas, you know, something that didn't actually exist. But we just drop our own synopsis and just wing it and just see how it goes. And if that would be really fun. That would be really fun to make the actual soundtrack to it and then play it just, <laughs> you know, in the back, you know, in the background, so you can just barely hear it. And then you just you hear some, you know, horrible and amazing things happening just barely at the edge of your your ears, especially with the Star Trek one. We could have all sorts of, you know, that could I mean. Be fun. Yeah, I mean that that one could have been full of singing. Kirk and gets dancing. drunk at like the Enterprise Christmas party and <laughs> Exactly. I think it would be more likely McCoy that would be the one that would get drunk and make an ass out of himself. <laughs> but you never know. It's always the, the ones like Spock though that, that are quiet all year round. I could see McCoy getting drunk and like <laughs> you know, like Xeroxing his ass on the copier machine, but I'm talking like Kirk gets drunk and like follows Rand back to her quarters, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? It's no fun. You've been watching Beavis and Butthead, haven't you? That's I have. Talking. That's why you're talking copying machine, man. Oh, that's another topic for another day, but yes. Because I'm like, a copying machine, all they'd have to, it wouldn't be any fun in Star Trek. It would just be a tricorder, you know, just aim a tricorder at someone's butt. To... I can actually see somebody getting drunk at the Enterprise uh, Christmas party and Maybe not so much Xeroxing their ass, but they have their ass up on, like, the bridge view screen. Hey, look at my ass! <laughs> I mean, that kind of thing. Exactly, you know. Yeah, a, an alert to all the crew and the telescreen comes on and it's like Bones' hairy ass with his balls dangling. Oh, ho, ho, ho! Mistletoe! Ho, ho, ho! And it's, oh, it's be identified by pimples on his ass. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> insufficient data well i think we just totally blew the uh family christmas family. spirit well yes oh shit yeah well i started it but you you helped finish it off so 
I don't feel as guilty anymore. Thanks for... Thanks for sharing in the degradation of Christmas. <laughs> so I'm... Well, what do you think? Well, so this uh, this is going to round us out for uh, for 2011. Any uh, any thoughts? Any any parting shots at 2011 as we leave it in the dust? <laughs> <laughs> I think 2011's been a good year. I think we uh, been. Uh, rocking it out this year I, th I know we got a lot of surprises for uh for 2012 that's for sure and new ideas and etc 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 i don't i don't know are we are we ready to uh we're not really ready to uh reveal anything just yet are we we'll just say that we have we yeah, have they... several project x's in the uh in the yes <laughs> <laughs> Although they're not X-rated projects, they're just Project, project X's. X's. Top secret projects, black ops, <laughs> if you will. We've got them. We've got we've got experiments running in our two true freaks own version of Area Fifty One. <laughs> we are uh, reverse engineering some alien podcasts. Dude, I have been watching. Uh, I found uh, through 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 my buddy Tor. I found all three seasons of uh, Ancient Aliens, and I've been watching it. And I'm watching it for one because I get a kick out of it; it's a lot of fun. But I also watch it just to because I like the eye rolls that I get from my wife whenever she walks through the room. <laughs> but uh, I'm actually digging it. It's it's. Could these Sumerian lizard people have colonated? And she's just, oh, yeah, Jesus yeah, that's pretty. You nailed it. You completely. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much it. Yeah, because I was. As the Anunnaki came down in their spindly wheels of light, and yeah, the Jesus one I just Christ. watched the other day was about um, it was like the underground aliens, or uh, you know, under it's something with to do with underground. And the guy was talking in uh, hollow hollow earth stuff. I like and... the guy with the crazy hair because he buys into everything. I love that guy. <laughs> so it was like you know, you know. So the narrator, you know, the narrator's come. So he's sort of Art Bell style. But, you, you know, mean. the narrator in that show is is completely dead serious. So the you know the narrator says you know crazy things in a very serious tone of voice, like you know, deadpan. These yeah. you know lizard people actually have existed, and you know you get the guy with the crazy hair that goes, "The answer to that is yes." <laughs> I just love that guy because <laughs> every crazy idea that comes up on the show, you know, could these ant, could these ant people actually have existed and been from Alpha Centauri? And he's like. Well, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> I've seen them. Yes. <laughs> so I get a real kick out of that show. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying it for all I the right am. reasons. I like crazy people. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> that explains a lot. About yes, it show. does. Well, speaking of crazy people, I, I just want to say thank you to all of our faithful listeners for uh, sticking with us once again through another, another. I cannot believe it has been an entire year. You know, as, as I was mentioning to you just before we started recording, you know, we just recently recorded that uh, that Star Wars Christmas special, and in that show you had referenced that CGI short that you had found on YouTube or wherever with, with, that was the. Uh, the little adventure with Chewie and and uh, and Han Solo that was mm -hmm. CGI, you know, very much done in like a like a Clone Wars style. Yeah, it was even anaglyph, right? Three D, 
too. Red and and I think you mentioned in the show something about, you know, that was a few months ago. Dude, that was a year ago. Because I I just happened to chance across it on our website as I was digging around for something the other day. And I was like, holy crap. I could not believe that that was literally a year, almost to the day. And I was like, man, where has a year gone already? I mean, a lot happened this year. I mean, this was actually a very big year for... It was a big year for Two True Freaks and all the affiliated shows, but it was a big year just for us, I think. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get it. We'll we'll say our, uh, our we'll save the sappiness for the end of the show. But yeah, just more than anything, I just want to say, you know, to those that have been with us, you know, through the year, thank you very much. For those that have just discovered us, you know, thanks for uh, for jumping on board. I, I hope you continue to stick around. And uh, this episode we're about to do, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this one because uh, I, I think this was your first time seeing this, right? Last night was the first time I watched this, and this movie. And uh, this is a, a big sentimental favorite of mine, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So, it. I saw one scene from this movie in the movie theater, and I'll point it out in the movie at what point I peeked in the door of Hook as we were walking by and watched, like, a minute. Literally, like, a minute. So that's all I'd really seen I know of it exactly besides, what you know, maybe clips and stuff. I'm pretty sure I know just what scene because I think I remember you telling me about. It. I probably told you before. I think so. yeah. but uh, you know this this movie has only uh, you know I'll be perfectly honest it only has the most tenuous of connections to Christmas but at the same rate, you know I've been noticing, and I don't want to sound like I'm bad mouthing because I think it's actually uh, I think it's ABC so that's ABC's a Disney affiliate right I think they own I think so, yeah. yeah. They've been showing Harry Potter films like nonstop on like, I think it's like ABC Family or something like that. And I'm like, seriously, what the hell does Harry Potter have to do with Christmas? So there's a lot of movies that that get, you know, trotted out this time of year and get played ad nauseum that have little to no connection with Christmas. I'd like to see this become a holiday tradition. And, you know, I think this could actually become a holiday tradition in the sense of something like, say, um... You know, movies that that maybe weren't all that big first run, but then by being trotted out every year on television became like holiday classics. You know, like, like the Wizard, Wizard of Oz, Oz. or uh, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the, the It's a Wonderful Life was mm-hmm. was not any big deal when it when it was originally released. It kind of came and went and and didn't do very well. But then over the years, it just got this like <clears throat> a Christmas yeah. story. Yeah, was like that. It wasn't a big deal. It got good reviews when it came out, but. It wasn't, you know, a big... It was a sleeper movie until it hit HBO and TV every year. Now they run it 24 hours a day sometimes. <laughs> I love that movie. Ah, fragile. I could, uh, I could see this very easily becoming one of those Christmas, you know, Christmas time classics. You know, where... Let's do a commentary for it every Christmas. <laughs> Next year we'll do one as Paul Verhoeven and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> So, uh, what do you think? We ready about ready? This is the part where I'm getting my hook sharpened. <laughs> well, we already said that we're we're not gonna keep the mystery on this one, so they're gonna know going in what what movie we're doing on this one, right? Yeah, okay. it's in the the name of the episode, I, so they already know what we're. What so we're I'm looking forward do. to this one once again. Um, uh, so let's let's we can tell them it's going to be hook in case there's anybody who can't, you know who's illiterate or hey, blind. Well, you know, they are listening to this show, so you know it's always a possibility. I suppose. Uh, 
I mean, I I would think you know maybe podcasts might have a higher percentage of of blind, you know, consumers. This is true. Yeah, that sense, would that, right? yeah actually that would make sense. So for the blind, this is about 1991. Steven Spielberg. Dece- yeah, it was the original release date was December 11th, um, 1991, and I remember that being in the because it was a great trailer. I wanted to see this movie. So we're right at the 20th yep, anniversary we sure, we of this. We certainly are. Yep. Within just a couple of days of the 20th wow. anniversary. That's yeah, crazy, wow. isn't it? That's unbelievable that it's been 20 years. That's good good timing, especially since this one's sort of been on our plate for like maybe like a couple it of has, years. Yeah, I know least. that we've, we've tossed it. I think we've tossed do, around doing this movie ever since uh, the Spielberg episode that we did because I could not believe. If I recall correctly, I think this I could have been flabber- a fourth flabbergasted that you had never seen it. Yes, and and uh, I think yeah from the and and I think this has been like one of those potentially it could have been a fourth week episode mm-hmm. many times, but then we'd find something else and we're like, okay, well, good, then we won't do Hook because we can spend more time on it the right. next time we do it. So here we mm-hmm. are. I'm looking forward to this because uh, I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say <laughs> about it. I, I was. Uh, I didn't take any notes, but I compiled a lot of mental notes. I'm, I, I remember there's like, I, I can remember a bunch of them actually off the top of my head, but I know there's going to be like a lot of musical and visual cues that are going to remind me of something I, uh, that I was going to say. I think I've taken, I, I have three solid pages, notebook pages of notes. Wow. I think, seriously, I think this is the most notes I've en- ever taken for any project any podcast i've ever been a part of seriously i know and the, the, and this is a movie that has a 29 percent on the the um rotten t- not that, that uh, it does actually i'm glad you brought t- that up because again that was something I, I was about to mention was that uh once again i i think this falls very much in the realm of uh you know two true freaks for the defense because uh you know, I, while I while I believe that this movie has started to gain a, a following and has a certain cult status of its own and everything, it still seems to be, uh, in my opinion anyway, unjustly dogged. You know, like it like it was a t- you know like it was terrible or like it was a real turkey or something. Uh, and, you know, not only don't I agree with that, I, I think it's rather the reverse. I think this movie's brilliant. I, I think it's uh, one of Spielberg's finest. But we we can get into all that. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the next two hours. It's a nice long movie. Now, what the what the hell is the name of this the company? You got your little TriStar horse runs out, and you see the TriStar (laughs) logo. As soon as it fades to black, pause that sucker right there on that black screen, and that's where Scott and I are right now. Yep. And uh, you can pause us to get that all set up. And see how quick that was. Awesome. And, and on uh, on go, I'll count down from three, and on right. go, we will hit pause and <clears throat> begin to watch Steven Spielberg's Hook, nineteen ninety one. Right. Three, two, one, go. All right. Play. Toy Story Pictures presents. They should have somebody come out and say stuff like that at the beginning of movies. Like it, hire, a, it's good. It, yeah, in but that you'd have too. Yes, but you gotta have some teenage kid who's like, TriStar Pictures presents. <laughs> who's? I love the first scene. Is like 
little kids in mouth breathing, you know. It looks like so you when you're at the movies. That looks like me when I'm just walking around. That looks like you too. Picking up. <laughs> so I was just gonna say, what timing on that? That's like a Lenny and Squeaky. Hello. I wonder if it's purposeful that this little girl playing Peter Pan looks like, uh, like a young Mary Martin. Oh sure. Because oh yeah, this, every uh -huh. there's tribute to every Peter Pan that I can think of in this. There, I, I definitely notice that. There definitely is, definitely is tributes to the different ones, but I think this owes closest to the to the Mary Martin one myself, especially with a with a big important scene that happens about midway through the movie, which uh, I'll point out when it gets there. See, this is what I love about Steven Spielberg movies: are those extra little touches, like the camera flashes going off in the audience yep. at the at the key moments. It's just something you don't. You, you don't even notice its absence until you see it happen in the Spielberg movie, giving it that extra little layer of of reality. And this was this this movie is like a nostalgia. And I like how you can see the uh, the um, basketball lines on the gym floor when they show the right. shots back across the, the audience. But um, I actually saw this play when I was a little kid. And uh, I forgot that I saw it. I saw this and I saw Winnie the Pooh. I saw a lot of plays. My parents took me to a lot of plays. And I didn't remember it until I saw this. And I saw that scene. And I'm like, oh, my God, I remember this, you know, particular scene from the... The thing I remember about the play was it had great songs. All I remember from the play was Captain Hook had a great, you know, expositional, you know, introduction song in mm -hmm. it that was... You know, pure fun, evil song. I have known so many people, just like the part that uh, that Robin Williams is playing. Managers well, that I didn't like or didn't get along with because they were just this kind of person, you know, so self-absorbed and, you know. It's weird that this is 91. You see, I think a lot of the problems that this movie had was... Uh, now here's here's one of my mental notes. What is this is some really weird John Williams music. This is almost like some of the most out of place music I've ever heard in a Spielberg. Did you ever play The Sims? No, I don't. It, it reminds me of when you would build a house or something in The Sims. It sounds like that that incidental music that plays. Yeah, it's funny. It's, I it's I, very TV. It it's is very TV incidental light jazz music. But look at the dynamic too. here. You got you got like Peter and like a Wendy on his side and a whole bunch of lost boys following him, even in his corporate raider it's true. job. You see, I think you see this music is just so weird. It's so not John at this point I was like, I know John Williams did the music to this, I'm pretty sure he did, but boy it, it's funny, I've heard other people have, have that comment about the music in this part, too. I actually kind of like it, although I will agree I don't know that it, it fits exactly, and it doesn't. It definitely doesn't scream John Williams, but I think well, maybe scored. he was trying to draw a distinction between this part of the movie and the rest of the, the movie, yeah. where it is very John Williams, it's very cinematic, it's and it's very, very emotionally very. evocative. Yeah. 
I, uh, well, I I'm gonna go out on a limb and uh, I'm, I don't know that Mark listens to our show anyone Mark Buttrick but if he did he would be so ticked at what I'm about to say but in my opinion this is the last great John Williams score I I, oh, really? I find it ironic that you know granted this is 91 and not 90 but I think this kind of this this movie and this score to me kind of closes out that that era of greatness that started say around like jaws you know and ran through jaws and star wars and close encounters and raiders and et and just all these great movies that summed up like the late 80s in excuse me the late 70s into the 80s and i think for me personally this was kind of like the capper i just never felt like williams in particular but i would even kind of throw uh spielberg in there too i don't think that they were ever as good again you know i think this was really like you know the 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 topper on that collaboration you know what i mean i'm gonna have a, I, I, my my variation on i have a variation on that and yeah i agree with you in a way i think and it was funny because it was sort of leading what i was saying before i think the reason that this movie got so much flack critically was it is it's sort of steven spielberg's thesis yes it's like his thesis project on it's like he, he's putting that this is you can't get any more of the spielberg recapture your childhood daddy absolutely issues absolutely and, and that, I think that's where the that's the film's biggest problem is it is it underlines that uh, it's almost Spielberg throws in every mm-hmm. trick in the book every he underscores all the you know thing and 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 up until this point you know that's been a theme in Spielberg's right you know and there's been you know Disney and when you wish upon a star and, right and you know being through the eyes of a child and and you know an adult being able to get back to their childhood and wonderment and raw belief you know raw childhood belief and stuff like that it's all in here like crazy you know every every second it's i mean if you had to i i don't know who has more like daddy issues of the pop filmmakers if you wanted like between like tim burton and steven spielberg (laughs) but this was like i think the his last one this was where i think he took everything that was left and it's at the tail end of that era of filmmaking of that um not naive but a little more you know a little less cynical and Mm -hmm. this takes this really you know this goes way (laughs) onto the polar opposite spectrum of of cynical yep. from cynical and the uh, movies were going in the opposite direction of this and here was a movie that throws out all the stops of and it's got robin williams who can be the most cloying you know sentimental actor ever but he's not in this no he's he is a lot of the, way way down way back in this which i actually the, like a lot oh, because it, i'm it, not i'm not much for robin williams to be honest no with there's you. there's not a lot of robin williams improv i think they let him improv the one scene where he gets to call people names later on and for the most part i think he i think also at this point robin williams was not he was a 
big actor, but I think he was still probably maybe feeling a little intimidated by Spielberg or at least like I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working for a great filmmaker, so I'm going to dial it, dial it down. See, you, uh, you perfectly summed up perhaps my biggest note that I took for this is that I, I'm, I'm thinking that this is a, a top contender for the most Spielbergian of <laughs> yes. Spielberg's movies. I, I really that's, feel that. I, that's I, why I think people didn't like it initially because there'd been so much Spielberg up to the, I mean, and there was amazing stories and you had, um, right. Uh, kick the can from the twilight zone movie. Some really like, I don't want to say treacly stuff. Right after but, this is when he changed, because not long after this, he, he got it did, out of his system. He, he did. He got it out of his system. Like, but I mean, almost immediately, it became all right. Now I've got to go the other direction. You know, the pendulum completely swung the other direction, and he did things like Schindler's List, and then he wanted to go back to his roots, and he did Jurassic Park, and so that's why I, I really do feel that. This kind of is is the last who it's yes. not only the last hurrah of Steven Spielberg, at, you know, in, in the classic Spielbergian sense, but in a lot of ways, you know, it, it, it's his, uh, you know, it's like his opus. You know what I mean? Yeah, his master's thesis. It's, yeah. it's his final report on it. It's right. It's he and, took everything that he had learned up to that point and and everything that had come to. Um, now this scene here, I, every I just have to say, is a wonderful moment of act. Yeah, this this brought tears to my eyes yeah. on first viewing. Yeah, me too. Insane! It's insanely good acting just between her and Robin Williams. She's wonderful. She's a wonderful actress. Yeah, she is, and she's great in this role. But that that the music that scene, it, it, yeah, just the music. You see here we okay. Here's here's more on. This is all working perfectly towards what I'm talking about. Is you got the music, you got Spielberg, you've got these maestros of hitting those emotional moments, those tearjerker moments. Right. And they know how to do it. Now, this was not just like a, this one was even better magic because you had the actor, actors, Spielberg, Williams, are all in sync. And like I'm watching this, and I'm like, holy shit! I'm choked up. You know, the first five minutes into this movie, ten minutes into this movie, holy shit! I think they push a few. I think they push the button a few too many times. I'll point out the ones that I think are gratuitous. Although they did choke me up, but after a while, after like the sixth or seventh time, sometimes I start going, okay, guys, come on, take right, yeah. <laughs> take it easy on well, me. It's funny. That's and, that's one thing I've always felt about it. You know, right from the get go, is I think one of the things that that potentially hurt this movie originally, and I'm talking like, you know, when you had to actually go to a theater to see it, was the running time because this was before a time where where audience had become reconditioned to staying in the theater movies. seat more yeah. than 90 minutes, you know? I mean, today we have, you know, like the Lord of the Rings movies and things like that where people, yeah, people will, sit, will sit there. Yeah, people sit for three and a half hours. Exactly. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, I agree with you that this this movie suffers a little bit of, of, of King Kong, you know, well, 2000s uh, syndrome in that it could do with a little bit of trimming, which is really hard for me to say because I love this movie. Well, but I think I, it, it could Spielberg do with was... some trimming. He was planning out. He's doing his master's thesis, 
I think there's a lot of stuff that he wanted to hit that could have been trimmed, but he probably wouldn't have gotten another chance to do it, and he wanted right. to do it. So there's a little, it's a little self-indulgent, I think. You know, it, it, we, uh, it points to that. But what can you do? You know, right? I mean, before it, it we, was, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say before we get too far into this and it, and it starts to get into the actual story part, I just kind of wanted to give my uh, my origin story. Oh, uh, as I recall it, see the the problem is I know I saw this in the theater. I'm trying to remember what the circumstances were, because when I first saw it, I liked it, but it was one of those like, eh, it was all right, and that was it. You know what I mean? And I'm pretty was it sure. Was you had kids? <laughs> No, no, it was, uh, I, I think part of the reason why it was just kind of like one of those like, eh, kind of things originally was I'm pretty sure I saw it with Denise, uh, which, you know, how I how love this. He that. goes in his Peter Pan yes. hands on the hips. Yep. I love that. I, I think, you know, you know how weird that relationship was. So yes. there's certain films that I know that I saw with her that you associate with, that I associate with and... her. So yeah, it, was, it kind of put me off. But it was when it, this movie connected with me when it came out on video, and I was working in Saturday matinee, and we uh, we had a limited playlist, and they really had to be you. I mean, you had to be very family. very sure that they were family oriented. There wasn't a lot of violence or cussing, or you know, definitely not like any booby shots or anything like that. So. You know, you, you really had to you had to walk that like Disneyish line, and this movie was perfect for that. I so love this shot. Out, here. Yeah, I do too. It's it's great. That's that's a very Spielbergian touch with the shadow. And, but you know, well, so look at a, that how that shadow's building as exactly. he gets angrier, 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 angrier yeah. Bang! Oh, just awesome. This is a very real moment right here with the yep. kids. You know, totally believable. But uh, yeah, it was it was really it was through the repetition of this was a, a nice long movie that you could put on during the day, you know, and in an eight hour shift, you could play this movie two or three times and your day was over. And it, it became that process of repetition of hearing it and, and catching the movie in snippets, kind of like I would imagine, you know, like we were talking before about like when Christmas stories on for 24 hours, it just kind of gets in your system after a while. And that's kind of what it did is it kind of worked its way into my system to where it became a movie that I just fell in love with. And I began to, you know, through rewatching and rewatching and, and re-listening, got to realizing this movie is so much more than it appears to be just on a, you know, a quick surface viewing. You know what I mean? There's so many levels in the movie. There's so many stories going on here. And, uh, and that's why I, I've, I've loved it so much. For, for so long. It, it really is a fantastic movie. One thing that really uh, surprises me is I, I did some detective work today looking. See, I thought this was going to be one of those movies rife with, you know, kid actors that like got their, their star or some of their earliest work in this that had gone. I was wondering about that today none of these kids none of them man have really gone on to do much of anything like the the boy that's playing his son jack he was the kid from dick tracy that's pretty much it 
he yeah. did Tracy he did this and he pretty much just disappeared. He's a he's a lawyer today and I forget where he where he lives. I he's was, a really good he was he's a really good actor. He's he, a very good actor. And I think the little girl's pretty good too. There's only one moment of the movie that she delivers a line where I just groan and I'm like, oh, yeah. this doesn't work. But for the most part, I think she's phenomenal. Especially there's a there's a really good part much, much later in the movie where Hook and Smee come to realize that their little game is not going to work on Maggie. So right. Smee picks her up and is carrying her out of the room. And she looks at Jack and she says, you listen to me. And she is just great in the delivery of those lines. I mean, those are, it's completely believable. Well, little kids that age, you can see how Spielberg is a master of getting realistic performances out of kids that age, her age. You know, like Jack is old enough, the, the actor played Jack is old enough to take direction of motivation and all that. And, you know, so is a little kid, but you have to probably phrase it. And I've never... You know, I'd love to have been on the set to see how Steven, what he does, whether he just gets them to where they're playing. You know, he gets them somewhere beyond playing because he's, the, 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 you know, they they really, he gets performances out of kids that should be kind of too young to get a performance out of, you know. And you can see, like, you can see a lot of Gertie in her, you know. Oh, yes. And it's the, yes. Spe it's the way Spielberg directs, you know, the way she gives the lines. Oh, I'll be coming back little... to that thing with Gertie, too. Because one thing I noticed about this is that there are some really nice and, for the most part, subtle nods to prior Spielberg movies. Mm -hmm. Did did we get a shot? I'm not sure if it's happened yet, but I had a note here. There was a shot where uh, we pan past a table in the living room, and on that table is um, John's hat, and Michael's teddy bear right out of the Disney version of of Peter Pan. And I'm not sure if we've seen that. I think that's I already think, gone by. I, yeah. I'm not sure. But if, if it if it comes up comes by, I'll point it out. But when I saw that, I was just like, that's nice. Because it's so subtle, you know? But I thought that was really neat. See, I was going into this, I was much more familiar with the with the Disney version. And actually there's there's not a whole lot. I've never seen the Disney version either. Really? How about that? No, I read I read the book when I was a little kid, and I saw the play, and that was what I was familiar with. And the book is I don't know if you've ever read the book, but it's like the it's like Pinocchio. It's like all those old books. Right. It's it's, it's kind of creepy and violent, and uh, it's a riot. But it's it's you know it's very weird. You know, very very weird and surreal. Both and my... that comes through in here in this movie for right. sure. He captures a lot of that. Both my boys went through a Peter Pan stage when they were little. And one of them, I can't remember which one. I want to say it was probably Scotty, but I, I honestly can't remember. One of them I bought the the actual book for Peter Pan. And it was a beautiful one, very similar to the one that Maggie Smith has in this movie where it was illustrated and everything. Mm -hmm. And tried to read it to him. And it was just one of those kind of clunky old reads you know where it was just clunky enough to where it, it, it didn't make for light bedtime reading you know it's, what i mean it's meant to be read by a british woman right. who's being very dramatic and then peter right feeling that as one does when one is a you know 10 year old boy forever that it would be you know it's that that very flowery style and so you need it needs to be like like ridiculously 
dramatically red. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. Pinocchio is like that too. The original Pinocchio story is. But uh, I, I wish I still had my original Pinocchio book. It was great. But the Disney the Disney version it, it is a fantastic movie and and both uh, Catherine Beaumont who plays Wendy who would later play uh, Alice or maybe she pre played Alice prior I, I forget she was either Alice before or after Peter Pan I forget but anyway she did both roles and then um, Bobby Driscoll was Peter Pan it, it's great but it gives you kind of the broad strokes it's you know it, it's definitely it's Disney's version of rather than being strictly faithful to the original story and so i was more familiar with that version so one of the things that threw me with this version is that toodles is not in the disney version so i didn't know who he was in this and that that kind of threw me you know when i when i was uh you know kind of fallen in love with this movie I, he was kind of a character that i kept focusing on going who you know is this guy in that ver you know who is this yeah, guy couldn't no, figure out like but he's actually not in there at all half the people in this audience that are standing up this was another one this was no mm -hmm. this is done with no music at all right and uh this was another tearjerker moment though you know when when people started standing up that was just be beautifully done beautifully done scene it's one of the few moments in the movie that's not scored though because i was noticing today i was listening to the soundtrack and there's a that's this is the scene right there that's john's hat and glasses and michael's bear that's that's neat i just like that i think that's really cool yeah yeah like half of her orphans could have all been lost boys you know exactly it's exactly. like that's I think a lot of people were complaining because the Lost Boys in this are sort of like skateboarding and stuff. And it's like, yeah, because they're Lost Boys from now, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they might be, who knows, they might be Lost Boys there for 20 years or something. But one day they all eventually like come back to the real world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, well, know, of I, course, I like you're not going to have like a lot of the same Lost Boys, you know? The, the Lost Boys in this remind me of the um, returnees in Close Encounters. Yes. That you have people from every era that, yes. that are there, you know, in Some Neverland. Some of them have stayed longer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some of them, uh, you know, you, you can ch tell by the clothes on some of them that they look like they've been there since, like, the turn of the last century, you know? Right, right. And then there's others that, you know, like the fat kid who look like they're fairly contemporary. Yeah, I, I like that. It gives it a timeless feel, which is exactly what it's supposed to have. You know, it's it's never Neverland. It's almost like the Nexus. Yes, it is. It's funny, and there's a like, I like the whole memory loss thing that sort of happens between that shot right know. there. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah, that shot right there with the mobile though, straight out of ET. Yeah, <laughs> this is pretty poltergeist like. Yes. Yeah, but, you know, you almost expect the tree and the clown. And, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And all that stuff. I'm sorry, you were making a point. Oh, I think uh, no, I was done with it. I think I'd actually even finish my sentence and everything we're about to get to one of my favorite parts but uh, i missed one note which was uh i love the subtle irony on the airplane of peter pan of all people telling his son to grow up i you know it, yeah. it's it's very subtle in the way it's done they don't beat you over the head with it but when you think about it for a minute you know that's this was the scene that made me want to see this movie because there was a great great old-fashioned trailer for this and 
I remember seeing this in the movie theater for the first time and, and being disappointed only in the fact that it didn't have the music from the trailer, which I didn't realize was not original music. I thought it was it was going to be music from the movie. And it was actually a piece taken from an earlier Williams score, which was uh, The Witches of Eastwick. But it's very similar in the I remember that. That was a great trailer. And I remember when that trailer came out and you were just like, oh my God, and this music, blah, blah, blah. I remember it, that. Yeah. Because to this day... That I must have been around the time you were living in Rochester. I think it was. Yeah, because yeah, this movie came out in 91. Yeah, because you were dating Denise. Yeah. yeah. And to this day, I still think that this movie should be called What If Peter Pan Grew Up? Because that's what the trailer said. You know, it kept showing like it would like one word would fly by like Superman, the movie style. And they kept interspersing it with cuts from this scene right here. I I think it's very interesting that they called it Hook instead of calling it Pan. You know, they could have very well called it just Pan, too. Right. They wanted to be. But, you know, they chose Hook for some reason. And uh, I think it works. It's a great scene with Toodles. He's got that that classic old man, little 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 weird lips, and blown back science hair. <laughs> See, I think another thing with this movie that that lent it, you know, lent into it, uh, maybe not getting the the following or the recognition or whatever. All right, is this Phil Collins? It is Phil Collins and that, sh it that is. guy he just handed that stuff to looked a hell of a lot like John Landis to me. It's it's I don't think it is, but that is definitely Phil Collins. No, I think that isn't uh, John Landis is usually bald. Well, he could be wearing a cheesy wig. I was cuz I was watching this yesterday and it wasn't until he was just walking out I'm like God damn, that's Phil Collins. It is. I think Spielberg had uh, has a has an affinity for British people and British the British style. I think maybe he and Lucas have probably filmed a lot of movies in Britain and worked with a lot of British actors and but it's it's the the whole feel of the 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 British storytelling like in Harry Potter comes through in this. Mhm. Mm you know, it's it's it uh you don't get anything that feels really american till you get to actually ironically to neverland and a couple you know where the like, right. couple of the kids are on skateboards and stuff and a couple of pop culture references and and stuff like that but you know this is 100% pure like i mean i think there's probably very few parts of london that actually still look like this with the whole you know victorian you know look she's got the victorian style hair and everything right what I was getting at before, though, is that I remember this, when I was on the Titanic. This movie, uh, in certain funny and a funny aspect, I think it shares a lot in common with another movie that I think is un undeservedly dogged, which is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, because I think both movies suffer a lot from the fact that they're kind of speaking their own language, and they and mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, presupposition going on here that you know the story going in and if you don't then you would be kind of lost because they only give you so much to catch you up and a lot of this movie doesn't give you that catch up story until like two thirds of the way through the movie you know when, when Peter his memory finally starts to come back and by that point 
if you've been feeling lost up to that point and you're not invested in the film, it may have been too late into the movie to, to save it for you. You know what I mean? This is this must be weird when grandma comes on to you. When you think right. grandma's going to start to make out with you. He was almost going to go for it, though. You see, the thing about this is there's a whole underlying... Me having attended a bunch of pagan fests and and knowing about that, there's a very strong pagan old religion nature theme. Well, Peter Pan in in himself is like primal nature mm -hmm. story. And I mean, when you look at this, like in the background, you'll see like animals everywhere, plants and animals everywhere, even in in Victorian era time. I love the I love stories where like somebody's forgotten their I you know this this movie plays on a bunch of like thing I love when somebody like rediscovers a place where they once used to live and stuff and there's a scene right. of that in here right and uh see I like this scene that little scene between them because that that was a strong See, at the time when I finally did really connect with this movie also, you know, the time when I was working at that Saturday matinee, you know, was was the time where I was, uh, you know, I was kind of trying to get over, you know, some things that had happened, you know, in, in my love life. I guess it's probably <laughs> the, the easiest way to say it. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> so this underlying current in here between Peter and Wendy and, and, you know, the, the lost love and all that, that was a, that was a powerful element of the movie. Oh yeah. And you can well, feel that from Wendy, you know, that first shot with Wendy and you know, where she says, hello boy, and comes down the stairs. I mean, that she really has that element through this whole movie. Oh, that, she cut, yeah. she cuts him to the bone. Like she cuts him to the bone to the point of where he's flabbergasted. He's back to, he's Peter Pan for a second, you know? Right. I Boom. Love, uh, yeah, the arm, you know, hands on his hips there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it throws him for a loop, you know. All it, it it's the first time in the movie that he gets his his sort of asshole douchey ex exterior, you know, just what and he's just back to it. She turns him into a little kid again. Right. Essentially. And I like how and he's continually drawn back to the window. Just to the window. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The window's the portal, you know, from <laughs> Man, it would be great to have a house like that. <laughs> that's sort of like our house that we lived on. Yeah. That's like sort of like the window of your room, except, you know, like three times the size. Like if. I'll tell you one thing about this, though. Kids get it. I don't know what it is. About well, it's this, all about being. It's all about being a it kid. Is. It's 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 that's all that's all it is. It's the primal, you know, that's what the thing about the Lost Boys is like. Those Lost Boys are, you know, they're they're laughing and and happy about running people through with swords. You know, they can't wait to go kill some pirates and start trouble, you know. This is one of those movies, again, you know, on par with like a, a, a true Disney classic mm -hmm. or like a, one of the Star Wars films or something like that, where you can pop this in and especially Julia with Roberts kids. is standing on my crotch. Can I just say, and I know I'm probably going to take a beating for saying this, I hate Julia Roberts. You know, I never noticed the footprints before. 
that she tri- I didn't walked notice, through the I didn't ink. notice them yesterday. Yeah, yeah I didn't, I didn't either. Yesterday either. But yeah, she left little footprints. That's actually a clever. I thought that the work with with her as mm. a, a pixie worked. Those footprints really well. come back later on. Now it makes sense. Okay, sorry. No, no, I not just, at all. I just remembered something that I saw yesterday that I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" But those footprints come back. See, I, uh, I, um, I can't stand her. This is actually the only movie I can think of where I, where I'll I tolerate her. I don't like the character because... development of Tinkerbell in this. No. I don't think they should. The whole, not now. I'm, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, by the end of this movie, I realized everybody's in love with Peter Pan. Right. Not in like romantic love, but in like childhood, like unconditional love. Even Hook. Right. Even Hook. When 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 Peter Pan shows up, Hook is like somebody who's like you know their long lost lovers come back. He's just well, like, he's, oh yes, he's this a, is reason for existence. Because, well, yeah, but also Peter Pan is, it's a primal thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, Superman. Yeah. You know, is is a primal they, they thing in a, in a Nietzschean sense and all that. And there's there's other characters in yes. you know in literature that you can point to and go. You know, this speaks to something prim- you know, like Tarzan speaks to something primal in yeah. all of us. And Peter Pan does, too. Peter Pan speaks to that that part of the primal part of being a kid primal, and never wanting to not never, be a kid. Yeah, never wanting to grow up. And and that's one of the elements of this movie that, again, you're know, really connected to me as someone that, you know, frankly, never really wanted to grow up either and, and wants to hold on to, to childhood you know, especially I think, you know, and, and this probably is probably plays in very nicely to uh, to Spielberg's psychology is that, you know, I think anybody who ever had a damaged childhood, you know, a, a child of divorce and things like that, I, I think they especially are people that grow up and, and really want to to reconnect with, you know, a part of their childhood because a lot of times they feel like they lost a piece of their childhood. Well, I mean, I mean look the- at Robin Williams. He's playing the 80s person who, who, you know, I mean, it, later on it gets spelled right out, you know, you know, you're, you, you basically, you're missing, you're, you're, you're only, they're only kids for a few years and you're missing it. Right. Which everybody's heard it before, but not that I have kids, but I'm sure when you have kids, it becomes, you know, a more deep reality. You know, those words take on more meaning. I can never decide whether I think that that scene lasts entirely too long, but from the part where she pulls the rug out from under him right on through this next part, I love how this works. I was reading today that the, these lovers here on the bridge, that that's actually uh, George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Really? I wonder if that's really true. That's what I read. I heard Spielberg's in this movie, too. I think he's a pirate. I know there's, another, there's another pirate that I'll bring him up when I saw him that I was going to make a joke about, and then I found out it really is that person. David Crosby? Yes, I was yeah. going to be like, oh, oh, it's the fat David Crosby. Yeah, David Crosby was David P- Crosby. And uh, Glenn Close is the one. He, they actually have a name for the pirate. Now I forget. Uh, it's a male pirate. Yeah, she she's the one that they put in the boo box. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's there's other people I gotta too. Pay, there's uh, some okay, guy, I be on that. something Tate, I think Nick Tate or something. But I don't know who he is. But I but think I know who he is when I see him on screen, but I don't know who, you know, I don't know 
what what it is that makes him a famous person or whatever but there are several famous people that play pirates in the background in this movie now whenever you see this is brilliant because whenever you get into this you could play this off on a pure quantum physics interdimensional you know now oh, he's absolutely. entered a different dimension absolutely. and the, the dimension being a shadow of ours because look he's right by the water the alligator's big ben Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a microcosm of, it's you know a weird vibrational variation. It's just awesome. I love that stuff. You know, My you could thought seeing this again because I watched this today. My first thought watching this again after not having seen it in a while was somebody missed a theme park opportunity right here to bring all this to you know i don't know what you know like universal well but this this is just you know awesome. what this reminds me of popeye yes yeah it does. yeah sweet haven yeah i was thinking sweet haven too. yeah it's, very it's much total so. it's total this you know sweet haven was a robert altman movie you know so it looked a little more quote unquote realistic mm-hmm. but it's got that yeah yeah disney could totally uh <laughs> bring something like this i mean well i mean there's there, there's elements this you could call this a tribute to pirates of the caribbean in a, in a way Absolutely. you know there's a lot of pirates of the i mean the way that even the pirates have that look at that that i mean that could be right out of pirates of the caribbean they have mm-hmm. almost that orange um you know robot um, oh, shoot something i forgot to bring up was uh was the clapping scene that was in et Mm-hmm. When E.T. and Elliot are in the closet watching Mom read the story to Gertie, that's the scene that she was reading. See, that guy right there that he just turned around, I think that's another famous guy. He looks yeah. like the guy from Beauty and the Beast. He does, yeah. Uh, oh, God, what's that? Ron Perlman? Ron Perlman, I yeah. Wonder if that, might, that might actually be him. I love the music in this part. Now... Here's another here's another thing where I think that I think this movie could have been shortened and I think right here should have been the first musical number in this movie. I I really think this movie could have been a great it with like four, four or five really well-written songs. Ooh, I don't I, know about that. I could see it happen. I, like, I mean, look at Popeye yeah, in, the, in the style it, of Popeye. Possible. But then again, then you run the risk of you know, then you've got Robin Williams in yet another musical type. You know what I mean? Because that's what Popeye was, and he was yeah. Popeye. Yeah, but, yeah. What I well, like about the... this scene is not only is the music incredible, but it's incredibly reminiscent of pirate music in Disney's Peter Pan without actually referencing any of it. It's well, just what I'm saying. reminiscent. This... There's going to be a couple other points where I'll bring it up. This totally seems like the cue to a musical number. Right. But but uh, you pirates are we? Right. Put a hook in your eye and then die. You know. Right. It all. It just. Now, do you think that was a reference to Good Morning Vietnam? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's funny because I didn't know Bob Hoskins was Smee in this. For some reason, I always thought Richard Dreyfus was Smee in this. He looks like Richard Dreyfus. Well, I don't know if Richard Dreyfus was this fat at this point. <laughs> <laughs> this is more like Mr. Holland's Opus. 
Richard Dreyfus, but yeah, he does sort of look like Richard. I must have seen a publicity picture and been like, "Ah, oh, it's Richard Dreyfus." I go back and forth on whether I actually like Shmi in this movie or not because I like him a lot. To a, to a, some parts I do, and then other parts I think, you know, this should be Ned Beatty because I keep waiting for him to say, "But Mr. Luthor," because he, I don't know. No, he's way he's way smarter than Otis. He's like. He's kind of the bra- He's kind of more the brains, even though he doesn't get the words right. He's the one who comes up with the. This the, is the, true. Uh, yeah, I love uh, the Dust, part Dustin says, Hoffman. I, I forgot Dustin Hoffman was in Dustin this. Dustin like, Hoffman is an actor I never liked until this movie, and I was like, this guy is freaking amazing, because his Captain Hook. You know, he got a lot of bad reviews, chewing the scenery and stuff. And when I watch this, I'm like, to. there's David Crosby. Yeah. That is, God damn it. See, I yeah, want to go back now. Awesome. I want to look at like the AFI list or something for like top villains and see if if Dustin Hoffman's hook made the list because he should. No, probably not, but this he should. Is, He's this great. To me, he in this performance is right up there with like, say, Darth Vader in Star. He's. He's perfectly personifying everything Captain Hook should be. Yes. And and the and he and the gags that come, you know, the pratfalls and gags that come out of it are perfect. You know, they're not overly goofy. They're not. He he, it, you know, up until this point, this was you know, Dustin Hoffman has gotten more play as okay. So this is Glenn Close coming up has gotten more play as a comedic actor in recent years, but people weren't used to see They were used to him and him being in serious roles. Tootsie was comedic, for sure. But, you know, as a sheer, just like, and I think a lot of people were upset that he wasn't. I see that it's a woman now. Yes. All right, I got to listen to the voice. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff too. Yes. I can't remember anything specifically, but he's one of those character actors. He always makes that smile stuff. face that he makes that he just made there too, that uh huh. <laughs> or it's the boo box for you. <laughs> and that other pirate though that's putting this guy that's dropping the scorpions in, what do we know him from? He's been in something he kinda looks like Bob the Goon from Batman, you know, the uh, Tim Burton Batman. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if it's him or not. Could this be this a return is of the a Jedi? Great, great scene. Oh yeah, this scene is. I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is coming up here in a minute, where where he, you know, he and Peter really confront each other for the first. I love when he gets right in his face and he just says, "Is it you, my great and worthy opponent?" There's just something about the way he delivers that line that just sends a chill through me every time. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 works the evil humor. They work the hu- the humor of the pirate pirates and the pure slime. You know, they really work the slimy aspect of pirates in this. I love it. You know, of 
I remember having to defend this movie on the playlist once when uh, I think it was one of our DMs was around when this movie was playing in that part where Smee comes walking down the, the stairs and he says, Peter fucking flying pen. Because it sounds like he says fucking. Yes. It sounds like he says, Peter fucking flying pen. But it's not what he says. So here comes the footprints again. Watch. He'll fo he follows the footprints up his... Oh, that's right. See, he sees fairy footprints on him. Ah, I never caught that before. I love this. Is it you? He's, I mean, he's such a talented actor. He's working those fake chiclets in his mouth. He works his mustache. Mm -hmm. Subtly. He's working, he's doing the like, look down through your glasses and study something. It's, he's right. just... You can hear a little bit of that, like, like middle-aged New York City Jewish guy in him too, because he's <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. You know, he's got he, I, my, our fiddle player is like right about the same age as Dustin Hoffman from the same part of New York City Jewish guy, and they have very similar voices, and I can always hear that come out. But he works it into the, I mean, he works it into the, just the hint of the British accent and the. Watch this. This is a Spielberg, 100%. <laughs> See, what I love about this is, in P and they wouldn't make that joke nowadays. That's too violent. That's too violent for a kid's movie. You know, nobody, people, bodies pile up later on in this movie. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about it. You know, Peter Pan is Pan. He's the, he's a satyr, satyr, satyr. Right. He's a he's you know he's he's wine women in songs, but he's just the childhood version of it, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's still that you know little kids are bloodthirsty, especially little boys. It's it's all little boys. This is this is the, the only the only women here are the ones that like the Tinkerbell, you know, Wendy was, and and the hookers <laughs> and the whores. The I think it speaks volumes about you know how this movie really connects for boys you know or for males i guess i should say because you know the whole pirate thing is lost on me honestly you know like the pirates of the caribbean craze and all that i mean i've, I've seen the first three and thought eh, whatever okay but hang on just hold that thought but that scene that just went by where were Hook Muscles by David Crosby. Mm -hmm. When I didn't know that was David Crosby, I'm like, man, that actor's acting a little cocky for being around Captain Hook right. and or Dustin Hoffman. Right. He's he's like not giving him the personal space that I would. And then I realized <laughs> it's David Crosby. He's wasted. Right. Sorry. Sorry. I did. I just no, no, to do fine. that before that, that scene went by. But, but no, I mean, I've seen other pirate movies and, you know, they, they all pretty much get chalked up in the same realm for me, which is kind of like sword and sorcery movies do of kind of like, eh, I could care less, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah, me too. I, I think this really speaks to what this movie is actually about, you know, that, that the, the pirate trappings of, of all of this are inconsequential, that it comes across with what the, what the message of the movie actually is. I, I think I have a theory that pirates are what lost boys become if maybe they stay lost boys for too long. Mm -hmm. They just become this sort of and and I'll use a politically incorrect word, but it's in the raw in the different context and it's put it, they're in a retarded state. 
Right. They're in a return, like a, a oh, stunted abs- state. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's the danger of staying a kid forever is you could end up being just like a pirate <laughs> instead of a fun loving kid. <laughs> it's almost the kill them all. You know, the, that's a great scene. The music in that just works. They ripped well. that off from start from the <laughs> prequels. <laughs> I have to be honest, I am very impressed with the integration of, of Tinkerbell because almost everything I've ever seen with taking somebody and, and making them appear tiny in a giant world, like say like the Honey, I Shrunk movies or something like it, it while I enjoy them, they never look real or believable. Whereas this, for the most part, the integration in these scenes works really well. I think they used a lot of the. I think they used a lot of. Uh, I think the technology for that got pushed far forward with Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Was Roger Rabbit before this? It was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I think that maybe pushed the, a lot of that. The integrating uh, an animated or green screen that character. That is one of our next projects, by the way. Oh, I was yeah. thinking about that today when I when I saw Bob Hoskins again. I was like, "Damn, we! I can't believe we have not done Roger Rabbit at this point." I love that. Oh, movie. that's another one of those. That's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's one of those perfect movies to me. Mm-hmm. One of those movies that works on every single level, all the way through it, beginning, middle, and end. It never burns out. It never, you know. Well, you you yeah. know me. You know that one of my biggest pet peeves uh, of the last thirty some years have been all of the movies that have come out and build themselves as the next Star Wars that I felt didn't deserve to to you know lick Star Wars boots. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Roger Rabbit, to me, while it never called itself the next Star Wars, to me was the star was the next it was basically it was kind it was of like star that level Wars of... of its time because it was the the next movie that was truly a game changer or, or at least felt like it at the time you know what i mean it, so many new technologies came out of that movie and it was something totally unlike anything we'd ever seen before sure we'd seen you know live action and, and animation on the same screen since you know since the 20s but at that level where you completely believed it, you know, it was just amazing. It was, that was a really, really incredible movie that, uh, you know, while it, 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 you know, made a ton of money and it's something of a, of a cult classic and all to a small degree. I, I've, that's a movie that I feel I hear there's talk of a sequel. Yeah. There have been um, for a long, long time. I don't know. I, I think that was an awkward cut of when he was in the water to when that shell yeah. comes out. It's a it's a weird. It's like there's something missing there. That's one of those moments. I in love the movie this part. Life. Yes, and you know what this reminds me of? The even Ewok with the music. No, nope. even with the music <laughs> right here coming up over the hill. Land of the Lost. No. Nope. Devil's the Guardian Tower. of. Oh, the Devil's, Devil's Tower. Tower. I was going to say Guardian Guardian of Forever. <laughs> Off to the right. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a bad mat line on him. And that one that, that again reminds me it just reminds me of Popeye too I, and, and mm-hmm. I love this I don't usually like built on a set things but the unreality of built on a setness yes 
works for this. It's, it, it's Disney. It, it comes off as, totally. a Disney, as a Disney ride. Or, I look at the tracks totally there. Somebody, I could totally see somebody doing a refurb on the Swiss Family Treehouse and making it into this. I could totally see that happening. Next time I go to Disney World, I have to go on the Swiss. I didn't get to see the Swiss Family Treehouse. I love all the clock, all the broken <laughs> clocks in here too. She thinks nothing of cutting him loose to fall to his death. I love. Oh no, she knows he won't fall to his death. He's just, it's just, yeah, it's that's what it, that's what it's great about this is, these guys are they're, they're little kids. They're irresponsible. Mm -hmm. They're not responsible at all. That little red hair reminds me of the kid that played uh, Tom Sawyer in that old '70s Tom Sawyer. Yeah. With the songs, Tom yeah. Sawyer, that bad, 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 yep. that had some scary shit though with Injun Joe. That had uh, that was scored by John Williams. That was, to my was recollection, it? that was the only uh, collaboration ever between John Williams and uh, and the Sherman Brothers. I think wrote the music for that movie. You know the songs. I mean, didn't that kid later join the Fat Boys? <laughs> no, actually, I, actually, the, I keep thinking this movie's early. Like, like the kid who plays Rufio. I'm like. I'm like, I think he ended up on Pee-wee's Playhouse, but Pee-wee's Playhouse was actually on when this right. was on. I'm serious, so, dude. I looked up every one of these kids that I could and find, they just, and they just none of them dope. really. None I, of them are especially that good. That's why, except for Jack and his sister. You know, the two, Rufio's okay. Um, um, the the fat black kid is okay. The the real the the real young little black kid who uh, <laughs> who stretches his face is is great, but in a Spielberg style, right. you know, like where Spielberg was getting that out. I like the two little Boy Scouts, both dressed, you know, twins. See, they're right out of. I don't know if they're in the original Peter, but they're right out of the Disney version. There were the two little two little Cub Scouts. Two little Cub Scouts. You know what this is also a lot like? Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God we don't have Aretha no, Franklin anti -anti. or whatever. No, it's not Aretha Franklin. No, Who is it? It's uh, uh, Tina Turner. Tina Turner. Anti-entity. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was great in it. I, oh, I would have sex with Tina Turner at the drop of a oh, hat. Oh, dude, come on. Even now. I'm eating here. Uh, she's probably 70 years Kill old right now. <laughs> the music. Kill the Lawyer, one of my favorite, uh, could this be one of my favorite of, lines of all times. This is one of the longest continuous music elements in the whole movie, and I love it. I mean, it goes from, from right here with Kill the Lawyer all the way through to where the little kid stretches his face. And it runs through everything it's it's action in this part and then it gets sinister in the part where the kids are really laying into him and you know there's like a genuine sense of danger right through like sappy emotional when peter stands revealed to them it's it's like a total encapsulation of everything williams in in yeah. this stretch it's just amazing it's unbelievable it's i funny, really think it's that funny that like uh -huh. The Spielberg style of movie making was often described as being like a ride. Mm -hmm. And like with in Temple of Doom and this, it literally, he's literally filming a ride. There's like a track and Robin Williams is running along the track 
when things you know and the same same as uh temple of doom you know it's it's literally you know it, it came to a point where he was filming rides <laughs> this entire part right here feels almost like something that would you know it feels like a theme park ride. You know what I mean? Yes. It's almost like something that you could be watching while you were on a ride vehicle. You know what I mean? Oh, I really think this is a love letter to Disney in a lot of ways. Oh, you know, yes. You know, uh, and and at the same time, it was also Spielberg at the same time was like pretty much like I'm, you know, I'm the new Disney. <laughs> you know, that was the, that was a, the thought a lot when Spielberg was in his prime was like, He's the new Walt Disney. There's well, a there's a level of a lot of people threw that around as a criticism of him, and I'm like, you know, no, you need what? more of that. You yeah, know, that, it, it just it's it it that's great. Speaks it speaks to a level of quality is what it does. It says, mm -hmm. here's entertain here's, you know, because you can make mass market entertaining entertainment that eight trillion people are gonna go see. And you can do it without spending a lot of money and paying a lot of attention. You don't have to put a lot of attention to it. I think this is a is a uh, um, tribute to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But hear how Bouncing the music the has changed. Place. Now the music is is completely altered. To yeah. it's it's very sinister. I mean, you get a real sense that they just might kill him. Well, that's oh, I love that. You're dead. John Williams also has a very distinctive when he uses like African drums. Mm -hmm. There's a very distinctive way he he scores African drums that you can. There's another scene in here that that sounds like it's it it's right out of the Ewok village. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think this is a very powerful scene. This is a very kid like. This is very like group of kids like scene. Little kids don't play games. They go, whose side are you on? My yep. side or your side? Get on my side if you're on my side right now or else you're on your their side. You know, there's no no diddling around. I and I love how all <laughs> the little kids and, and is, you know, that one little waver and all the other kids are like, zoop, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. Total fickleness. I love it. Except for the littlest of little kids, but he he ain't long for the world either. And they they come across as sinister, you know what I mean? They they, are. they might just be a bunch of little kids, but mm. they you know I wouldn't. They've fuck been with living like wild little, animals. They yeah, could they could hurt him. I would not fuck with a group of feral little. I would be more afraid. Feral, of yes, yeah. Feral feral kids than feral adults, because adults have more of a logic system. Little kids are, you know, little kids. It's it's um. Oh, Lord of the Flies, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically. Which is why he said that earlier, too. He says, what is this, some sort of Lord of the Flies preschool? Oh, yeah, very <laughs> much so. <laughs> this, scene, this scene was another tearjerker. I got, mm -hmm. I, 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 you know me. I'm a cynical, hardened bastard. I got, you are. You're an equal, I got, I, I, you are. I had the waterworks go oh, about yeah. 10 times during this movie, which was really. For for me, as and as a, uh, somebody who likes movies, oh. it was about seven times more. <laughs> I like having the waterworks. I like ET, where like at the end, boom, it hits. You know, right? You save it up. I think there were a few times where it was just like, like here's a little overkill on the on the waterworks for this scene. You know, okay, 
I could do without the constant cuts to Julia Roberts. I, that's that's actually the only cuts I would make in this part because I like this part a lot. But I'd cut the constant, you know, they well, keep a lot cutting of the their reaction stuff, shots. A lot of the see the tough thing is a lot of the stuff that I think is overkill or unnecessary, or even doesn't work, is still good. Right. It's still really good. It's still got a lot going on for it, and I could see why it wouldn't get cut out. But you know, it's like that. Is it necessary? You know, there's. This is one of my nitpick, one of my few nitpicks actually with this movie is there's a part here where the little black kid gets all worked up and starts yelling at Rufio and I cannot understand one word he says. I'm sorry. Right here. What? What's he doing here if he's not Peter Pan, huh? What? And who are them kids with the hoosgrock? Give him a chance. <laughs> okay. Shut up, Julia. I say, let him go. <laughs> yeah, Julia Roberts just she, doesn't quite like the, close-ups of her, especially if she's not. They should have had her glowing at all she times. She could eat apples off a tree through a picket fence with those horse teeth of her. I, I, I swear to God, <laughs> she is just not an attractive woman. No, I've never, I've never found her unattractive. But yeah, because yeah, she's she works at that plain Jane, girl next door good looks thing. Whatever. That like she looks like a boy. I hate I hate Peter Pan. I love that part. She's making him a plate and taking a bite out of everything. <laughs> Now, as much as I like this scene, this is one that could do with some heavy, heavy trimming right here. It's Beautiful. hard when you have Dustin Hoffman in a movie to cut his scenes out. <laughs> Look at that set, though. Oh, yeah. This movie was uh, were not only like ridiculously expensive out of the gate, mm -hmm. but then they went way over budget on it. But you can see where they spent. Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't really. You Look know. at the color out the out the window there. The blue to the purple. That's mm -hmm. very Disney like. Oh. You almost expect Tinkerbell to go, mm -hmm. you know, circling around it, and, and the Magic Kingdom to be standing. Mm -hmm. I thought this. I thought this scene didn't quite work. The whole like, you know. The whole like, where he's, you know, where he finally has to, to sort of ask him to stop him. Yeah, I can see that. I can see it on paper, but it does doesn't it, it doesn't work for. I I see Smee still like. This scene doesn't work for me in the sense that Peter's back now. Peter's back in his life, and there's a possibility he's gonna get the war that he so desperately craves, and you know, so the meaning has been kind of sort of brought back to his life. So I could see this scene if this had happened way earlier in the movie before, like, like I could see this scene being the motivation for Smee to go to the real world and steal Pan's and kids. And steal Pan's kids. To, yeah, that, that... To reignite a war. But this scene seems very just, it, it seems like it's in the wrong place in the movie to me. It's, it seems to me like it, it almost, I, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. 
it's it's I forgot. I totally forgot. <laughs> it see. Oh, it seems like this is sort of just saying that there's a repetitive pattern in hook. You know, without Peter Pan there, that that Hook is just sort of going through the cycle of like bragging to his men and then being suicidal. And this is like right a little a little scene that he and Smee have you know acted out time and time again. You know, over and over and over again. And you know, Smee's starting to actually finally get sick of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas he's almost unaware, Smee's sort of starting to be. It's. I think a lot of this has to do with like some some characters in Neverland start becoming aware that they're in Neverland and maybe someday they're gonna can leave to go to the quote unquote real world. I think that's what Smee's starting to, you know, break out of the the cartoon sort of. You know. Right. He's so, or starting to think of himself more because, you know, by the end he's, he's stat, you know, running off with stuff and he's sort of manip he's sort of manipulating the situation all the way through. But, I mean, he's definitely manipulating the situation in, you know, in towards what Hook wants. I think this was a really good idea from a writing point of view, you know, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think the, um, in the I like context that line right there. I think I love the way he delivers that, that line where he just says, no, Smee, no little children love me because he realizes by this point that he he's, he's transitioned into a point where he's not just a man. He's, he's actually like a, like a, almost like a you know like like you He's know like peter, peter pan. pan himself is is a primal force of yeah. you know that something sp that speaks to you know all of us as far as yeah you know, he's not he's, wanting to grow up this guy's to the, play his role this he's guy's the embodiment of it the embodiment of the evil villain exactly and he's, he realizes it too and he's got to play it and he's actually you know it's it's not about motivating him to do evil it's about motivating him to enjoy doing evil mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> Which is what it actually right here is where you can see the enjoyment starting to come back to his face. I love how he I love how he works those choppers, man. It's just a pleasure to watch. Yeah, see, he just <laughs> and meanwhile uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, Peter Pan's starting to work his. See those uh those drums are very uh yep Ewok village Ewok village yeah because they're probably the most African drums in the orchestra you know so they have that same <laughs> quality to them some nice cuts together right there that was cool well, now, I wonder if that was the use of the uh, of that technology that uh. What's his name came up with for the Back to the Future movies there, where they integrated Michael J. Fox as like three or four different roles into one scene. Right, you know, talking about that that camera right where that the camera could with? take the same pass over and right. over again, so they could do multiple passes of of the actors. Right. Who the hell am I? Th Zemeckis. That's what I'm saying. Zemeckis. Damn, you know what? Another year went by and we never did the Back to the Future. <laughs> never did that? Back to the Future, I know. Another another one that's uh well here's one less on that back burner list, so uh 
See, I like the little kid in the suit. I wish we would have seen more of him. He seemed really interesting. I liked him from when you first saw him, like, getting up in the morning. <laughs> How do you think? How does this help me get my kids back? What do I have to do next? <laughs> Birthday. Birthday. Shut up, Julia Roberts. <laughs> it's dead Julia Roberts. I like how they put eyes on his tits. That's pretty bizarre looking. <laughs> I like that. Now, what is it with Robin Williams in this time period and being in weird interdimensional timeless places full of gloppy, bright, you know, basic colors? Oh, you're not going to reference that movie again, are you? Yes, because it's, it begs it begs to be, especially in another scene here. It's like Robin Williams in some state where you get to create your own reality through imagination. Well, and, and here it's a good example of where one where it worked and one where it didn't work. <laughs> but it was weird. They were in the same – I'm sure that movie was only within a couple years on either – I think it was probably a couple years after this one. Yeah, I think so. It might have yeah. been – right around the same time it was right in that early 90s yeah I, I gotta be honest i didn't think much of that movie i thought it was an interesting movie <laughs> it was a interesting concept but yeah ultimately it was not not that good of a movie at all but it was weird you know there was something there was some weird thing going on with robin williams being in like imagination land and bright primary colors being smeared around I I don't you know I think it would have been more better if they didn't play the whole sort of thing where Jack sort of forgot who his father was and then start I don't buy him warming up to hook as much as he does in this just by what happens in this there's only one scene where I see him like warming up, to, where I see it being realistic that he's warming up to hook, and I'll point it out when we get to it later. I mean, they, I think they realize that, and they sort of play, you know, because he doesn't recognize his father when he comes back. But yeah, because that, but that's because Neverland is is working its spell effect. on him. Yeah, right, right. But um, I would have liked to have seen like more like like real bonding, you know, like like um hook you know being a little more um oh i don't know devious man. I, about I, it i think the part where he where he takes him to the the clock room yeah the scene that works yeah that's, it, the scene that, that's, that's the scene that really works the baseball oh, game oh, doesn't really yeah. work for me as a as a motivation to that and but that 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 scene in the clocks is like the first scene where he starts to bond with I would have liked to have seen him and Hook go on like some little adventure where they're like we have to go and get my you know get this from, from Gypsy Island and they go and they fight their way off Gypsy you know a bonding experience together where you know where Hook sets it up with the Gypsies to have this whole little adventure where you know the kid rescues Hook and then Hook rescues the kid and they bond and I think that that would have been a really interesting way to do it. <laughs> He's all busted up. 
I love that that part with the little girl. I thought she was uh, she was phenomenal right in mm-hmm. that in that part. Delivered the lines very realistically. I like this part a lot, and I, I like where the scene goes. But I think it, it's very long. I think that this was a scene that yeah, could have is, done with some serious trimming. This is this is the scene that I thought was like a little too cloying Spielbergy. It was a little too too much on the um, amazing stories, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that gets spe- you know I I know they're they're doing the whole you know imagination and and uh, there although there is one part of this that really works really works well and I like the idea of this scene. To me, this scene, I mean, it's not that it's bad or anything. I just think it's overly long. But to me, where this where this scene starts to work is where Peter throws whatever that crap is. And they go, you're doing it. Yeah, that, because the, the music, you're doing it. The music yeah. in that is just. That's another like, tearjerker wow. moment. Yeah. That's another moment where I was, I was like, yes, he's doing it. That's right. I think Robin Williams is is hamming it up a little. I'm trying to put my finger on it. It's it's a little too hammy, but then again, little kids are hammy, so. I think one of the reasons this movie works for me personally is I really, I gotta be perfectly honest, I've never ever liked Robin Williams. Because when he's being Robin Williams, I just find him to be incredibly fucking obnoxious. It takes you out of whatever Damn, no, I did real it, movie. It does. But in this, I don't know if it's him doing it himself or Spielberg reining him in. But one way or the other, he's dialed so far back that he's actually likable. And to a certain degree, he was like this in Popeye, too. You know, I mean, he, he did have his his Robin Williams moments with Popeye. But for well, the most he was part, in... he, you know, when he did that, it actually lent into the character with Popeye. He was, he was in... Uh, the Popeye had a whole different feel to it. Popeye was with Robert Altman is a director who's famed for having his actors. A lot of times he won't even have a script. He'll have a storyline and he'll have the actors improvise through a lot of it and rewrite scripts and stuff. So it was made for Robin Williams. So his improvisation in that he could have gone hog shit crazy in, mm-hmm. in Popeye. And he didn't though. He, he played it as Popeye, who's an exaggerated character, too. But, yeah, I think Robin Williams was starting to realize at this point, you know, was starting to, like, become a real actor, you know, become right. a real, instead of just be playing Robin Williams over and over again, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, Robin Williams ends up being a really good actor. I mean, there's been a few serious roles that he's done that have been really, really good. Right. And here we go to the probably the one part where Robin Williams got to make up. Right. Because actually, this th- those lines are the kind of stuff that actually Robin Williams could probably really 
<laughs> just spit out like that. <laughs> yeah, see, that's Robin Williams. Yes. The Peter Pan Envy. That's a Robin Williams improv line. I do like that he sits down like a little. That's right. And Robin right Williams. Here, this is where this scene starts to work for yeah. me. Yeah. Up to this point, it's kind of been eh, but I like this part. Yeah, they they could have gotten to this point a lot faster. Total Spielberg mm -hmm. perspective shot right there. It's almost like a fisheye lens. It just works. And I think at this point he needs to find a way to get back out of this scene as that's quickly a, as possible. Well, then, that, the the scene back on this food—that's just a wondrous shot because mm -hmm. it's great. He made it look like the food actually just appeared there, right? By you know showing the empty table before, but when he panned back on it, it literally looked like the food faded up out of no nowhere. But it was just because you expected no food there, right? It's, it was a brilliant brilliant piece of camera work and editing there it's very subtle it was really neat i didn't notice that yesterday but that's spielberg for you left and right there's you know i mean it's it's almost to the you, you almost have to watch his movies over and over again because every second is now, how did it happen that you had never going. seen this before was it just no interest or you'd heard bad things or it was in the time period where i was in college where I didn't have, t you know, when, when I would go see a movie in a theater, it would be, you know, a bunch of our friends. It would be something where a bunch of people would be like, we're going to see bat. I remember like people going to, to buy tickets in advance for Tim Burton's Batman. And I remember going to see, oh, not just not a lot of movies because a, I didn't have a car. And I was on campus, which was kind of far away from any theater. And I was a film major. So I was literally, for class, I was watching movies in class almost every day. Literally sitting in a theater watching projected movies almost every day. Right. So, And I was also broke as a joke. And uh, I Spielberg is just a master of getting little kids to look look like they're really looking at something awesome. He gets their eyes to look like they're full of wonder. It's amazing. Look at all those little kids. They're perfect. When I was watching this this afternoon, both my kids came home from school at various, you know, different parts while I was watching this. And again, this is why I say this movie really works for kids because both of them walked in and I expected the reaction from both of them would be kind of like, oh, God. And I think Scotty was a little bit like that at first. And the next thing you know, they're on the couch with me watching the movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's funny that part where uh, Williams swings the sword and cuts the coconut into, I think it was Logan said something about, and he just lops the head off the kid sitting next to him. You know, it's, <laughs> it's true. You know, he's, he's swinging that sword around with not a lot of regard for the kids that are sitting like right there next to him. That's exactly what he should be doing. That's a great scene. I just I love the way he delivers that line. How do you, how could you know Toodles? I thought that was great. 
Well, you see the whole thing with Toodles and his marbles and all that. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really need to be in there at all. The whole character of Toodles and all that. It, it's and see, not it explained you... enough to do it, but it's still, I mean, when Toodles gets his marble back, it, it's another choke, you know, choking your throat moment, you know, choke up moment. I like, and it works. You it, want it to see, totally yeah, I was really glad Toodles got his marbles back. But it's really, it really, it's almost like gilding the lily, you know? This scene works for me because it makes you realize just how long Thud has been a lost boy. If he remembers Toodles, right? you know, who's now, you know, an, an old, old man. He's under, he's, how old was, is, she's 80, right? Um, Wendy's 80. Yeah, at least. And they say, well, they yeah, they said like she's 80 years old or something like that, or 89 years old, or I think they said 80. And so, and she, he was her first orphan. Right. So that means he's younger than that, you know? He's, he's like probably 70, you know, he's just an old looking 70. And here we have the one, <laughs> this is just a weird, it works. It does, it's a weird but at the scene. same rate, this this would be my my top candidate for a scene that just needs to go away in this because it's not that it doesn't if work. If it was it's a, a musical, a, it would work. It looks yeah. it looks like actually it looks like um, the Wizard of Oz. It looks very Technicolor, and you know a little girl singing and looking into the distance. And I love how his face goes from like. You almost think that he might be. I like he's smoking. He's got a double cigarette yeah. smoker. Too. Cigars. There's two Cigar, cigars. Two cigars in there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a beautiful shot, Matt. That gorgeous shot. That's where I want to live, man. That would be nice. This is like my ideal living arrangement. Just like <laughs> a series of tree houses. It's awesome. And Spielberg, this kid, I don't know. There's just something interesting about him in his suit, you know. He's got a very like New York City like news, you know, newspaper yeah. salesman. Well, yeah, kid yeah. To go they, they, read some all of the kids it. there do. They remind me of like the Newsboy Legion or something like that. This very is some so. great mustache acting right here. This is awesome. The music, once again, in this part here, there's little musical cues that Williams uses, and it's very reminiscent of when TikTok the Croc would come around in the Disney version of Peter Pan. You know, without the music sounding exactly, it's just like reminiscent of it. And I think that's brilliant that you can do that. I love that that. he's got a cork on his hook when he sleeps in case he's got to scratch his balls or something. (laughs) It's totally what it's for in case he's got to pick his nose or something. But I love, I love that mustache just like ticking on his face. That's mm-hmm. it was just awesome looking. Yeah, I don't know if that was something Dustin Hoffman actually did with a facial tick or if they had like a little bendy mustache. It looked like a facial tick. But this it's, theme, it's oh, I'm sorry, awesome. This theme for uh, for Captain Hook for me is right up there with like say like Darth Vader's theme or Lex Luthor's theme or so. it's just a great it's, theme. It's got a lot in common with Lex Luthor, Otis, you know. Yes. Dum 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 
dun, 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 Very dun. much so. Yep. Each one ticked its last talk. I love that. Now this is, has the first scene in it where I buy the kids starting to bond with. Right. With uh, and that's when um. That's when he and Smee are talking about a past adventure, and they're like, "Remember, you know, blah blah blah," and they're laughing, and you can see the kids just like, "This is awesome," you know. They're they're enjoying themselves, and the kids getting swept up into it, and dude, really starting to think we, of them as. How much would this have worked on us when we were this age? If if you know, a couple of guys took us in and said, "All right, dude, you can break all the shit in this room that you want to with them." If it happened to us in the real world, it would have been some weird child molester situation. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's how that happens in the real world. You know, not like this. Oh yeah. See, you can see him start to. He's starting to go like, "Okay, this is fun," you know, and. Right. And these guys are starting to be humorous instead of just like threatening. And he's smiling, you know, he's like Cook is genuinely like smiling and having fun. See, because at this point he still he still remembers his dad because he's pissed at him. Exactly. Yeah. This is where I I buy him. Yeah. Falling to hooks, you know, falling for hooks routine. Right, but actually, it like he makes a convincing argument to the kid. and and in a brainwashing sense right this would be the point like this would be the point here that the kids feeling regret of it it would still take a couple more little mind twists a couple more situations to seal the you know like the emperor you know <laughs> they're, 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 he would have to manipulate a couple more situations to pu- fully suck him in but this would be the point where he got him in the door you know right he he he's laid all the groundwork and all he has to do is follow through. But you know they don't really have time to do that, at at this point. You know, I I I, I don't know. The... I just think I would have cut a few things out and I would have added musical numbers, <laughs> and that if I was to improve this, I'm not saying that it that actually needs improvement because, um, I'm only on my second viewing right now and I'm enjoying it more than my first viewing. This, this reminds me of Popeye chips. a lot. This yes. reminds me of the boxing match in Popeye. I love it. This is so over the top fun that I yeah, just buffoonery. Get the this is like Three Stooges buffoonery, and once again, very like the signs and everything. Very, I I love this. They are just so <laughs> bizarre looking. Well, you know, you you hear in this day and age, you know, you you hear what I like there is there's the the real adult, the real adult that they've got, like that's supposed to be too. Or no, I I guess it was Robin Williams. You know, you hear laugh out loud all the time, but there there's a scene in this part that literally does make me laugh out loud every time because it's hysterical. I like the over-the-top nature of, of this. 
I would have cut Robin Williams out of the his character out of this equation. I would have left just the baseball match in there, you know, and, and cut out the element of 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 him actually see, you know, getting the, you know, getting his chance to see but this is his motivation for for going yeah, back and trying that much harder to you know to oh, fly yeah. because he realizes now that it's not a game that they're you know his son is in jeopardy now you know he, he before it was a battle to save his kids now it's like a battle to save his kids soul almost right. you know what i mean have to get his kid back get his kid yeah exactly not just to save him but to yeah to actually be able to to get the Hoskins kid to want to come back looks like a hedgehog That guy, the guy that said strike looks like Eric Idle, too, a little <laughs> bit from Monty Python. I'm surprised there aren't any Monty Pythons right here. in here. That, He's that stealing also... second! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a little Raiders reference. Oh, and you, notice, you notice they've got, they've got, uh, They've got banners that say pirates on pirates, them. Pirates, yeah. Well, both the teams are called the, are the pirates. pirates. Yeah, of right. course. <laughs> There's even, look at that. There's a neon in the background. That's, That's interesting. See, he's forgetting. Yeah, he's getting, he's getting, well, he's remembering. Well, and yeah, he remembers Maggie and that, but I mean, he's getting sucked into Neverland, and this is, you know. Right, he's he's going. Why does that mean something to right. me? <laughs> See, I buy this. I buy that this would be enough, you know, because he's Hook is totally making up where where uh, yeah, Hook's Robin on Williams a throne dropped. watching him. Yeah. You know, he's making up where, where Robin Williams dropped the ball in the beginning of the movie by, you know, oh, so to speak. Yeah. You know, he blew his kid off. You know, this big, important moment of his life. Is that Santa Claus back there? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack. <laughs> He's got a glove on his arm instead of a hook. That's great. I'm trying to think. There was another movie that came out this year with Rob, the same year with Robin Williams in it, that had a character named Jack in it too. And I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, it was um. Um, the Terry Gilliam movie with Jeff Bridges. Which one was that? Where Robin Williams was a mental patient and Jeff oh, Bridges was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Jeff Bridges is, Jeff Bridges' character was named Jack in that. Well, this was right around the time that Williams was the genie in uh, Aladdin as well.
I think I those like, were within like a year or two of each other as well, if I remember. I like, I like the happy thoughts to fly idea, but I like the Hitchhiker's Guide better where <laughs> you have to get distracted at the last second, you know, before you hit the ground. I always love that idea. That always sounded plausible to me. You know, that if you forgot that you were actually hurtling towards your death, that you would actually stop doing that. <laughs> like, truly forgot. <laughs> this scene I like is this really whole, neat, too. Yeah, I like this whole part. Because this part... I love scenes where people remember, you know, remember part of a forgotten past. Right. I love it. That's amazing how they got that to sync up so well like that. Spielberg. <laughs> well, this this part in Wendy's house is some very powerful stuff for me. You know, when it when it really just lays out the whole story. I mean, the, you talk about some stuff that that chokes you up. Yeah. I could totally buy that that's Robin Williams casting the shadow there, too. It looks like his it looks like style. His. Yes. That's cool. I want a tree like that in my backyard. Yeah, I love stuff like this. Actually, I know some places where I could go to see trees like this with my name and stuff that I've written on them. That's it would cool. be really interesting that I, when I was a little kid... The movie doesn't make much mention of uh, Michael and John, but it does a couple. It did there on the on the log, and I think he references them here once or here. twice. But that's about it. It doesn't really say much about them. They were a big part of the original story. See, I don't understand the whole need for the whole, like semi-romance between him and Tinkerbell between basically every female <laughs> adult female in this movie you know I don't know if that owes but back to the original story or not you know having not ever read it but I know in the in the Disney version she was very jealous of any of, yes you know of Wendy you know the attention yes. that Peter paid to Wendy and there was a definite rivalry there you know to a point where she you know, actually tried to have Wendy killed at one point when when they first come to Neverland. Oh, that's right. She gives her poison. Was she, uh, was she, uh, Wendy goes, or I mean, uh, Tink goes down and tells the Lost Boys that she's a, an evil Wendy bird. So they actually take pot shots at her when she's coming down. And when they finally get down to where the Lost Boys are, Peter scalds the Lost Boys for having that's shot right. at her. It's Tinkerbell who, who gets into the poison. Yeah, she she drinks poison to I think it's to save Peter or something like that, which I'm not sure if that scene's in the Disney version. I forget. I, I don't I think, think that is. is. Is it? I don't know. I I don't know. I have to see it. But it I know sounds... that that's in in ET when the mother is reading the story to Gert. That's the part that they're that they're reading is where where you have to clap your hands. Yeah, where where Tink had drink the drank the poison to save Peter, and then Tink was dying and. Disney never shied away from stuff like that, so it right. probably is in there, you know. 
I can't Bambi's remember. Bambi's mom can get killed. Right. Yeah, this was this was my life two years ago. This was like when my dad died, and I like one night I was like in his house, like you know, in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, no, you know, in the in a dead man's house, all alone, you know, and I and I find this one area full of boxes, and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't know all this stuff was here. I wonder what this stuff is. So I pull it out, and it's basically everything that my sister and I had left since we were little kids that he had that he wasn't like ah, I can't throw this stuff out he just threw it in boxes and stored it under and it was like that you know it was just like oh my god you know right here's all this stuff that I forgot I ever owned that was like something that was you know on my shelf for years and years and years it was like an important little toy I had it was and and you know scenes like that bring this bring that all Back. I don't know if I buy his origin story as much. Um, is that from the real? Is that from the the real book I'd, that he run off as a little baby? See, and... I'd love to know. I, because parts of this I know are from the the J.M. Barry stuff, but like this part with the baby, I don't know because it, it it's kind of strange. It seems, but more in a like fairy tale kind of yeah, yeah, it does. But you know, in a fairy tale kind of way. It I would have liked. I would have liked to seen the baby do something more, like reach out its hand and push itself. You know, right? To show a choice in it, rather than just sort. Of, you know, to be like the primal urge to not grow up was so strong, even in the baby, that it that it escaped, rather than just being blown away and. Well, happening. that's what I took from this. That is a very just... much a tribute to the oh, Disney yeah. Peter Pan. Look, I mean, yep, he's even pointy. You know, he's. I mean that's one hundred percent. I'll bet you Spielberg was creaming in his jeans working on that little scene. You know, <laughs> oh, I'll bet you he was. I'll bet you it was something he's wanted to do. It's Gwyneth Paltrow. Is that Gwyneth Gwyneth Paltrow? Yep. Ah. She seemed a little old for Wendy. This is like a vampire story. <laughs> this is very powerful right here. This is totally from the Mary Martin version because this is how the Mary Martin version ends where he comes back for Wendy and she's an old woman. And there's a great part in that where Mary Martin as Peter Pan, she breaks down crying because Wendy grew up and she promised she wouldn't. But, you know, she didn't have a choice. She was back in the real world. And... But even that one's a little bit different because in that, it's Wendy's daughter, Jane, in the bed. And the cycle starts all over again because Jane right. wakes up and goes with him to Neverland. Whereas in this, you know, this this right here is the moment where you realize... This is where the what if part of the story kicks in because this is yeah. where Peter stayed in the real world. Well, this this makes sense because he's going, he's he's not going to lose some, you know. He's like, okay, I've tried this now. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lose it, so I'll stay here and try. Which is which makes the fact that I love that like the sort of loss of innocence happens with the Beatles. <laughs> 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 but you know, it, it's it's you know, it makes it 
all the more, you know, horrible that he's neglecting his kids because he gave up being Peter Pan to have kids. Mm-hmm. And then now he's been, and and then he go and when he has kids, he goes back to basically playing. That's what is. When they showed him at work, he was playing. You know, when he's at home on the phone, he's being a dick. But when he was at work, he was like, "Hey, you know, draw and and all that." So it's you know, it's almost like you can't. It's it's funny because they're too primal. The primal urge to grow up and 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 do all that, and the primal urge to stay young forever, which he actually has the option of doing. <laughs> this is powerful to me because, not to sound corny, but. That's my happy thought, too. That's I'm not cool. going to mention my happy thought on a family podcast, <laughs> even though we've been swearing up a storm. I won't go that far. I always love... I have lots of dreams of, of flying yes. where it's very similar... Very similar very to, similar this. to yes. this. Yep. To where it's like you have to get to a point of where you actually accept that you're flying... Mm-hmm. And then once you're like, okay, that's right, I can fly. Then you can like do all this shit. So it's it, this is wor- works on so like this sort of works on the same level as that stupid "What Dreams May Come" movie. But this one works, you know, of the creating your own, you know, basically doing anything with the power of imagination. Up until stuff. Superman Returns, I think this was my favorite flying, flying I'd scene? ever seen. Yeah. Yes, and this is this is a good. This is before CG became really well useful. So right. this is like, you know, wires and mats and and there's a an, shot coming animation. up right here that works so well, where he comes straight up at the camera, and you can see the like the. I don't know what you would call it. It's like the dust clearing away underneath him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got like a jet. He's he's pushing air ahead of him like right. Superman. Right. There you go. Right there. That's gorgeous. See that that scene's a little pandery with the yeah. with the black kid doing a, a quote unquote Senate, urban all, dance. Oh yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. See, those are what my my flying dreams are like right there is where you actually have to swim through the air. You know, it's like in in my dreams, it's like physics is at play because there's nothing to actually propel you. So, yes, you can defy gravity, but you can't exactly zip around like Superman because it's like what propels him, you know? Oh, oh, you got to get past that and realize it's just (laughs) because. Because what I do and when I'm doing – and I'm never like, I'm going to fly. I'm always just sort of doing it and then it happens. But what will happen is I'll take a big, long step and I'll be like, I'm going to see how long I can hold my feet up in the air before I put them down and see how – and my steps keep getting longer until I get to a point of where I, I just sort of can – you can sort of will yourself, you know. You sort of point yourself in a direction and say, I want to go this way. I like that we're giving flying lessons on our <laughs> podcast, on our Mine are like, to hook. It's, it's like riding air currents or something, you know? Uh-huh. My, you see, the thing about mine is I, I ha, I, I, I'm I always like way back. This is before you knew me when I lived on the farm, like when we lived on the actual farmhouse up in Pleasant Lake. And, uh, you know, when I was in elementary school, I'm always sort of a lot of the times I'm around there when I'm flying. And... Uh, Maybe because there's a lot of hay to fall into. Because if 
if while I'm flying around, if I'm very feeling very confident about it, then I'm doing what Robin Williams was and flipping around. And but if for one second I would go, wait, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be flying. I'll, I'll take a plummet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Beautiful. That'd make a good wallpaper right there. I might have to go back yeah, in later and, and copy that. Make a wallpaper out of I it. I know. Uh, somewhere there's got to be a nice matte painting of it that would... This scene doesn't completely work either. I like the echo effect. What, uh, what, what doesn't work for you in this scene? I don't buy Tinkerbell's, you know, being like kind of depressed at the, at the, I, I don't, I, I personally view like fairies and the, the way Tinkerbell was sort of set up as a super primal force, not right. one that you have conversations like this with, you know, she'll say things. But it's just little things, you know, and it's very simple things. She's mostly like a creature of mischief, you know what I mean? Right. And and moving around and and uh, there's just a little too much of a fully fully imagined woman into it. And this, I don't, I don't like. I don't. I yeah, think I didn't this like her becoming wholly, full size. Wholly useless, and I don't think it it adds to it. I think it was a chance to give Julia. Since she was a hot actress, it was a chance to give her a little more, you know, her quote unquote big scene. <laughs> and I like that line of this is the first time I've been big enough to have that thought. That was that's a nice line that that sounds like it came out of an old children's book. But. See this. This should bring him out of Neverland and make him remember he's got a wife. <laughs> it does. Oh, you're right. You're right. See, I like this scene only in the sense that it's like he was starting to he was like oats and hay. <laughs> he was uh, starting to to regress back into young Peter and forgetting mm -hmm. why he was even there in the first right. place. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So she gives him a little shot of uh, grown-up man uh, man juice to <laughs> to jolt him back well, into reality. Not exactly okay, what I, I see meant, it. but yeah, okay. Yeah, she gets the now, old uh, she gets the old juices flowing, and now that he's Peter Pan, is he wearing contacts? Because I don't, I I noticed this today, and I meant he probably to doesn't pay... need glasses. Yeah, I meant to pay closer attention, and I totally forgot to to pay attention earlier, but. I noticed this earlier today when I was watching this that his eyes are really, really blue after he becomes Peter Pan again. It was just weird. I love that. Yes. That's, a, that's so cool. I don't know how they did that special effect, but it was really nice. There's another I mean, one coming up here that looks really cool, too, where the kid walks in right there. Right through the spider that webs. That one, I can see how it worked. The other one, and I'm telling you, you know, you take stuff like that for granted these days because you just assume they computer generated it. Right. But they didn't do that not, first not one. That's then. pretty impressive. Yeah. No, that's. I think maybe that's why computer graphics don't um don't work for people as well anymore because there isn't that element of how the hell did they do that? You know. Right. 
It's it's built right into it. They they did it on a computer, dummy. Yeah, I miss that actually. I miss going to the movies and, and for some new special effects thriller. Going, how it's, the hell did yeah, they do that? Sitting there afterwards trying to figure out, okay, how did they do that? Yeah, you're right. Nowadays it's like, you know, no matter how amazing it is, I just go, eh, CGI. You know. Yeah. It's I, wonderful how happy. <laughs> Just how Dustin Hoffman plays the, you know, how happy he is here when he finally realizes, you know, that it's Peter Pan. He loves him. He loves him. It's like his best friend is back. It's great. Some great, great wire work in this movie. Yes. Even the scenes where it's obviously wire work, it, well, you know, like where he was running and flying at the same time. I like that right. he pulls up the, where he was running and flying at the same time. Even that worked. Did a great job of de-aging Robin Williams. Yes, he looks thinner. He does. It's it's the makeup about, like on his chin, thinner, his younger, chin yeah. and stuff. He pointier. They made the, they made his hair. And his makeup to make his chin and his things look pointier because the original illustrations in the Disney Peter Pan was very, very pointy. Everything mm -hmm. is skinny and pointy. His outfit in this is totally Mary Martin's Peter Pan yes. outfit. Where it looks like it's made of leaves. Ugh. Dead pirate bodies piling up. Mm -hmm. When the kids attack, it's very Ewok-like. Yeah, it is. Somebody I did sh notice somebody should have first, blown a horn. At first, he's killing a lot of people, but then it it turns into a sheer pratfall. Mm -hmm. After a certain point. I like that because you know what? It's true. <laughs> it's not his dad. It's Peter Pan, basically, is what. And the way <laughs> Dustin Hoffman delivered that line was just awesome. Just. It was you. I like that. This is a great effect. How did they do that? That looks so cool. Where they throw the net on him and then drag him out of the sky. I, uh -huh. I would love to know how that was done because it looks fantastic. Actually, that was kind of like the Ewok horn, wasn't it? Yeah. He yells and all the Lost Boys come in like the Ewoks. Yep, very much. So. Yep. You can tell they were just having fun at this point. I don't buy at all that those three kids are moving that entire place. Oh no, but you know, we're at that we're at that point in the Spielberg movie where it doesn't matter, you know, it's nope. just I'm sucked in, I'm I'm buying it. No matter how weird it yeah. is. Now I had a thought today, what was the benefit of doing that right there? Because those kids had to jump off the pirate it's ship. It's more to fun. Get the other <laughs> Okay. It's more fun. <laughs> they're, they're not they're play it's all play. This is all 
You know, at the end of it, one of them doesn't one of them say something like, "This was the best game ever." You know. Yes. It's it's all it's all it's the end. By the way, I was that's actually one of my notes. Is you know everybody here is playing? They're playing their parts. You know that's why that's why Hook is so happy to see him again. Everybody can do what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, get get in a big stupid fight. You know. <laughs> But well, it's like kids playing pirates and not pirates or whatever, or, you know, cowboys and Indians. Or... Right. I read something today that behind the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, that this is the highest grossing pirate themed movie. I wonder if it still holds that distinction, you know, if they're if that's actually true or if it ever well, because was. But I could kind you know, of I think the Douglas Fairbanks ones were more popular than any of those movies, but you know, movies that there weren't as many people to see movies in those days, so right. they didn't make as much money even when you figure in inflation and all that. Yeah, and, but the, if you think about it, pirate movies really have a in in modern times until really pilot pirate i can't believe pirates of the caribbean got made because pirate movies are infamous yep for being flops yeah roman polanski made roman polanski one of the all-time great filmmakers you know had a notorious flop of a pirate movie which and, one was uh, that was that the one with gina davis i it might it might have been with gina davis it ha it was um I think it was just called Pirates. And then there was the pirate movie, which was the adapt right. adaptation of Pirates of Penzance, Penzance. which, which was a I'm huge hit. Had, had Gina Davis in it. I can't remember who else the big star in that was. I like that part. I can't remember what what the name of that movie was. But I want to say Pirates. Bluebeard, but it wasn't Bluebeard. No, it wasn't that. See, I was going to make a funny Pirate joke Island there about, like, like, take that, David Crosby, but it really is David Crosby. Yeah, it really is, <laughs> yeah. See, it was like Cutthroat Island. That was the name of it, Cutthroat no, Island. That yeah, was no, that wasn't, that wasn't it. It was just called Pirates or something like that. And I, and I, can't, I think it had actually Walter Matthau in it. If something tells me Walter Matthau was in it. But and then again, uh, would you consider something like, say, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea to be a pirate movie? Because that not, movie was huge in its Not day. really. I mean, it's no. nautical. Yeah. But, you know, a pirate movie has tropes to it. You know, right. it's like a pirate, you know, it's sort of a pirate movie, whereas Nemo had his ship. But Nemo wasn't a pirate in the strict sense. You know, pirate movies are almost about, you know, You've got the pirates who are the lawless. You know, Nemo wasn't right. a lawless guy. He had an agenda. Right. And, uh, you know, the only the, there wasn't a in the pirates of Pen pirates of Penzance play was very successful. But I remember the pirate movie being a huge critical and financial flop. Right. And there was like well, didn't the Corsican it have that brothers, Chris, Christy McNichol's brother, or whatever. It that had, I think it had Christy McNichol in it. Oh, okay. And uh, it had Christy McNichol <laughs> and the guy who, the, like, James Katz or something like that. The guy who was in um, that stupid, we were just talking about a right, couple shows Maggie's ago. Here's Maggie's big line that does this right here. Does not work for me at all. Uh, yeah. 
Sorry, everything else with her in this movie I like, but that moment does not work for me. It's just so I would have had her say it not as a question, as a statement. Right. It's more of like, Peter Pan's my dad. <laughs> but yeah, pirate movies in modern days have not done good. It wasn't until, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, I haven't seen... I only saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean, but I really liked that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I thought it was, it was a, just a good, fun adventure movie. You know, it had, it just had a good light feel to it, and the character. And it was, Johnny Depp was a great character. You know, he. You I like the second one, but that was the only one of them I, I really liked. A I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. The first one, it was maybe, um, maybe one of those low expectation things. Right. Where, you see, the thing about it is, I've never been a fan of pirate movies. See, I'm, but I'm I like, not at all. That's why I like it the whole idea me so much that I like this movie as much as I do because I'm not a fan of, of pirates at all. Well, I, I think I could like pirate movies because I like the whole idea of having a ship with a bunch of dirty marauders in it who go and steal and, you know, say, you know, it's it's just made for adventure. But right, it just we never got any of those when we were kids to capture our imagination really into to where right. it became yeah, ice pirates <laughs> there was butt pirate oh that was yeah that's that porno movie yeah that's a different <laughs> yeah we rented that one by mistake you killed rufio you medieval dickweed i know R- rufio is funny because he's like named after the date rape drug ahead of time <laughs> Well, there is another scene where they're where they where they that 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 anticipates you to man where they're saying you're the you're the pan you're the pan you're the pan and I'm like this is before you to man, you know it wasn't I'm glad it was I'm glad that Spielberg wasn't stooping to a you to man joke. Great acting all around in that mm-hmm. scene. Green, yeah, it's green. It'll faded in that right there. They needed to turn the contrast up a little bit. It looks. It looked to me like maybe they had a little trouble with it, and they really treated it to get it to look like that. I like this part. Back into the Jungian, Nietzschean, Freudian. What's really funny also is that uh, Dustin Hoffman's a really short man. So is Robin Williams. So that's it's a good thing that they're the only two adults here. Well, there's the other pirate adults. But they had, to, I think they did a lot of forced perspective and oh, stuff yes. with, yeah. with Dustin Hoffman to get him to look less like, you know, Ratso Rizzo than, the, you know. I mean, Captain James Hook is supposed to be a tall, lanky pirate. But that's, and he sells it. That's uh, the only reason I think of, here in a, in a moment because Peter. Yeah, he says, I thought you'd be taller. Says, well, he goes, I remember you to be taller. And, and Hook and says, well, to a 10 year old, I'm huge. And right. I think. See, that's another thing that that lends into me really liking this character is that you come to see him as, 
you know, not only is he sort of the, the quintessential embodiment of evil, but you see that he's the embodiment of, he's the classic bully that really he's kind of a coward, you know? Yeah. He's, oh yeah. He's, he's, he's a not, coward. He's not really that bright. Big, you know, if you stand up to him that you can, you can beat him because he's not really everything he's making himself out to be. Yeah. He's all, he's all a lot artifice. of it's bluster. Yeah. yeah. You know, when Peter finally takes him down in that one part, even the kids see he's not so scary. He's just well, that's what it, it's a it's a Wizard of Oz takedown where yes. where where you where it's a where you, I love that where he does the two stops yeah. and then the that's perfect. He's a kid. He's being yeah. a kid. It might be a serious thing. It might be a battle to the death. But Robin Williams is very much a kid. So my other favorite scene. You know this is only a dream, don't you? I love that. Although I can remember seeing this in the theater for the first time and being like, oh no, please. Don't wake up now. Yeah. Don't yeah. wake up now, yeah. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. You the man. Pan. Shut up, Julia. You're the man now, dog. I do like that part, though. So you can see the fear in his eyes. Is he going to kill me? He does the total villain thing. He takes yeah. it back and then he wounds him just to wound it. I love Just to that. piss him off. Yeah. yeah. Just to say. That was a dumb thing to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if I had had you at my mercy, I'd have run you through. Exactly. I would have run you through, yeah. That's great. It's a nice move. Some and that's another hit. trope of the of the artifice. That all you know, they have their weak weakness that all you know, and his weakness is time. Mm-hmm. I love that this alligator was fucking the biggest alligator ever to exist. It's like a dinosaur. And the dinosaur looks like something out of Disney World. It does. See, I like that. He stands revealed. He's just an old man. He still looks like he could be a badass, though. He looks a little bit like Dooku. <laughs> he does. He should have two swords crossed over his neck right now. I like that scene a whole lot. He looks a little like Alice Cooper makeup with without the hair. Like a steampunk Alice Cooper. Mixed with Dooku. In a, in a weird sort of way, it it almost reminds me of the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, where where Luke takes his helmet off and you see he's just an he's old just, man, he's, you know, yeah, he's, he's he's not so scary after he's all. A deep doughy down. old guy, yeah. But what I like best in this scene is at the end, he doesn't ever let up he's no. you know he's he's totally unrepentant 
This is twice that Peter's let him go. You know, he, he could have just walked away, but no, he's he can't let go of his hate. No, he's not. Yeah, he's. Her children Thus perished Peter Pan. See, this is like just one of those eminently quotable movies. I love it. And Hook's got most of the best well, lines. Yeah, of course you give the best lines to Dustin Hoffman. I always have one huge nitpick with this part, though, and I can't help it. The clock should have crushed those... him, I think. I think the clock should have crushed it. And, and, and the thing that, like, actually he shouldn't have been hurt by this little thing because the crocodile's mouth lands right on him. I, w I wouldn't believe I that he was dead. I think there's a mystical element involved. Yes. It's all I can think of is that there's some magic-type thing. Where the crocodile actually eats Buster him up. Buster Keaton stand up to, you know, so that it falls perfectly is a little bit weird but that's not that's not the nitpick let me see where it's it, we'll get a part where we actually be able to see it here in a second is that this crocodile looks a little too much like you said like a disney prop there's a moment here where you can see the slat right there see it between the two straps on the uh on oh the my god there's like the slat right there where it's perfectly flat in the yes. scales yes I, I i hate that i hate it so much you, you see it yeah it's like a board in the yeah and it's like why did they leave that in where you could see it like, so if it were, if you were at Disney that would be the part where like they opened it up and they could run food in there or something you know what <laughs> right. I mean there would be some practical use for it right but I I think what they should have done is they should have had one of the lost boys go up and look up in the mouth and then turn around and go you know and just left it at that you know just know that he saw gro something gross up there and been just like yeah yeah <laughs> and that I like the fact that it has a mystical element to it that you know I like that time it's, finally it, catches up with him and you know hooks you know they uh, what all the kids say you know hooks gone so it, it leaves it completely open-ended you know you mean hooks gone as in he's dead or hooks gone as in he escaped to he fight another away. day you know that's a great effect Now here's where I think the movie starts going on a little bit too long. Exactly. You know, you're, it's like you're reading my mind because that's that's my only other problem, my only other serious nitpick at this point. We've pretty much is, cleared everything up by now, so it's yeah. just a quick wind up and get out, really, to to close the themes of this movie and to have a satisfying ending. You know. Yeah. At at this point, this is a movie in search of a place to end, and. I would argue that I I love that line and you referenced it earlier where the kid just looks up at uh, you know he's looking up at us you know supposed to be watching Pan you know flying away and he says that was a great game and I love his delivery I love the line and I think that's where the movie should have just faded to black mm -hmm. and that was the end I, I I think it needs to be sort of bookended in London but they could have done it a little. I, I, I think it's kind of cruel of him to fake that one kid out, but that's what a real Peter Pan would do. I like that the fat kid gets the sword, too, that gets the mm -hmm. honor. It's just, you know, 
he's not base uh, he's based on his valor because he was taking out a shitload of pirates yeah, when... he was and I love the look on his face it's just like yes <laughs> and, and it, by the end of the movie Robin Williams is handing a child a sword <laughs> here <laughs> I like that the look of Wondering. Yeah, I'm going to chop some people up with this. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Now let's go get us some humans for dinner. He's sort Definitely of swimming there, to too. Oh, I it faded right into the nursery. I think I missed that before. Well, now, I want to know how much time has gone by, because these look like fall leaves, don't they? I mean, exactly how much time are we supposed to believe has passed? I think those are leaves that are coming in from Neverland, because I think there's I snow on that. the ground when they go down and the uh, oh, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah, the... that's right. You know, I think oh yeah, which I caught a continuity error today when the dog buried the phone. The phone was open with the antenna yes. out. And but when Peter uncovers it, he has to re-extend the antenna and open the phone up. So, yeah. <laughs> Here I am nitpicking a Peter Pan movie. It's so funny how far phones have come since 1991. See, this you. this could have been the, la the last scene when, when when they show up here. I the, the whole scene of the guy flying back off to Neverland while being a tearjerker, it's just too much for me. Mm -hmm. And and they hold it up a little, you know. He does too many little curly cues out, you know. It's, it's, it's. At the same time, Spielberg and John Williams are doing what they do best. But. It's. It's just yeah. It's just too much. <laughs> no, I, I you know that, sadly I agree at that at that, po at that point. I love the scene where the kids sit up in their bed so I think that's a very wonderfully and the mother's reaction is perfect Mommy! Klingon bastards you've killed my son <laughs> you can see she's just like she doesn't believe it till right now yeah this is your scene See if anybody. Yes, this is my scene. Yep. And I'll tell you when I started watching it. I, I looked in the movie theater right about now, and I was like, "Ooh, it's he's got the." You can see a little wobble in the. You can see a little wobble mm -hmm. in the shot, but it's still. I remember more snowflakes, fl coming down. Maybe it's the 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 file I'm watching isn't the highest quality. And see, here's see, me is finally like, <laughs> like left, you know? Right. Well, that's, again, that's a nod back to, I, I'm not sure about other versions, but in the Disney version, um, I'm Every, not sure about Smee. Everybody had an analog and Well, yeah, yeah it's almost like Wizard of, Wizard of Oz. Oz. You know, in right. the Wizard of Oz, the three farmhands had their analog in, in you know, in Oz. Yeah. Whereas in the, the Disney version of Peter Pan, which, you know, again, that's the one I'm most familiar with, 
um, Mr. Darling, Wendy and John and, and Michael's father, he was Hook in Neverland. I mean, the, the actor voiced him and, and, you know, his mannerisms and stuff in the real oh. world and as Hook. Oh, that was a fake wall. Did you see that? Yes, it was. Oh, I didn't ever catch that before. That wall totally wobbled when he grabbed a hold oh, yeah. of it. Yeah, it was a piece of plywood. <laughs> it's yeah. a painted that piece of plywood. That means that's a total, uh, total. Uh, it's made out of the same thing that doghouse wow. is made out of. Wow, I See never caught bricks. that before. See the, the bricks of the doghouse are the same. They probably painted the doghouse bricks and the the plywood on that wall at the same uh, time. How friggin' much would it have cost to build all that rather than just go to an existing house and? Well, go into an film exist in the backyard. Yeah, you know? but the thing about working on a soundstage, especially when you're a Spielberg, is you have a hundred percent control. And wow, that's and crazy. Bet, and I'll bet you at this point, he, you know, it was, it was, and a lot of this, a lot of like walls and stuff, they take other, they take other walls and reuse them, and you know, there's people who can whip this stuff out in the business. See, I don't like this thing with with Brad on the phone it's again. Pointless. I think it's pointless. It, no, it is. It's to show him. It's to show that he doesn't care. But you know what? We get it by now. Yeah, exactly. It, when yeah, he was it, flying it, around, it, we already know that he's transformed. That right. there's no, you know. It it is. It's 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 a needless callback. Hey, remember when I was a prick at the beginning of the movie? Yes. I'm not that guy anymore. And and here, it's like, yes, yes, we saw you transform. Right? Yes, and, we and, we know this. And they just impressed it, and now look, he's gonna impress it once again. Right. Yeah. See, I I I, I that's hate a very to end Pee -wee, on... That's a Pee Wee Herman. Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, keep it open. Yeah. I... I, I hate to be this down on the end of the movie because it, it, you know I, it's not I bad. Really, it's just too much. It's it's it he's, is. He's he's re is. Well, going this... over the stuff. To, it's, and look, and you're right. And once it, and he, the phone coming back for the third time, we know it. But they this have to is... show it to his wife. You know, he has to show him showing that his wife that he doesn't care anymore. This is the ape taking too long to die in Peter Jackson's King Kong. That's what this is. This it, is it, the ape taking too long to die in Schlock. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I do yes, like you're right. You're right. Gibbs, too much of a good Gibbs, thing. Toodles is marbles, though. I could do without the pixie dust and the flying, but this is just. Yeah, this, it's a tear, it's tear jerking on his face. It just brings tears to my eyes. I was I was in tears like six, seven, eight times during this movie last night. Just you know, but after you know, too many times and it feels manipulative. It, and yep. and Spielberg is someone I can take being manipulated by a lot more than normal people. So it didn't get me mad in this Fade movie. To black. Fade to black, right there. Fade to black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fade to black. Fade to black, right there. We're fine. Yeah, it, it's uh, or the end of uh, you know the Return of the King. It's just like, you oh, know, God, yes. one more scene. Oh, and then one more scene, and then one more scene. It's not yep. that bad. Although he does look a little like a hobbit there when he makes <laughs> that face. <laughs> and see, I mean, there's a, there's, a reason, there's a reason behind it. You know, I mean... This is this is now everybody that you know Wendy and Mora get to see someone fly and ever basically that that makes it say 
everybody knows that he's back to being Pan, and everybody believes in magic now. You know, they gave Mora, right. you know, Wendy believes, but Mora's never seen anything really like it. She she met Peter Pan when he first shows up, but she doesn't know that he was Peter Pan, you know? So, right. and yeah, this is... Okay, maybe if he just... You know what they should have done? They should have done a little quick tribute to Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell at the beginning of uh, Disney's, you know, the the old Disney TV show. Right. But look, he's, you know, somersaults. It's just, it just goes on. I get it. And it's, it's neat. But all in all, uh, this movie does not rep deserve its reputation. at No, all. it does not. It does. It totally does not deserve to be almost, almost universally panned. Now I know that it does have its fans. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've met plenty no of pun intended. What? Panned? Oh, God. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I wanted to point out that you didn't mean to do that on purpose because otherwise <laughs> I would have been angry. But no, I, I mean, I, I have, I, you know, I've met people, you know, that uh, that have a high regard for it. But but I, it, it's my impression anyway that on the whole, you know, it's it's not highly regarded. And, and you know, it's it's on... I've seen it on a number of lists of, of turkeys. Um, I was looking at something today. I forget what it was. Some list of like, you know, great Spielberg f films and then films that like nobody seems to like. Yeah. You know, well, this with, is like, this is like 1941. Yeah. Always and some other. And it was on that list. And I'm just like, you know, it, it, it just I remember always switch. getting good reviews, though. I remember always. I seem to remember always maybe not doing like being one of the first Spielberg movies that wasn't like a huge hit, but I remember like um I remember the critics kind of liking it. That's another one I, I've I never seen that I've heard my, is really good. My personal interpretation and maybe it's just me, but I always felt like the the only problem always had was when it was released because it just happened to be released right around the same time that ghost was released they had very similar uh, themes and it got totally overshadowed by ghost which i think is a far inferior film to always and i think that ghost has dated horribly whereas the last time i saw always it had a pretty timeless feel to it isn't always set in a, in like world war ii era Ooh, no no, it's uh, it doesn't really have like a distinctive feel of the time, but I mean, it it was contemporary for its time, but it yeah. was. Uh, I only saw Ghost like a couple years ago on TV. I'd never seen it before, and I was just like, "Oh, eighties movie!" Yes. And if I'd seen it in the eighties, it wouldn't feel that way as much. But having not seen it when it originally came out, it was just like, "Yeah, you could feel it <laughs> in every I shot." I'd be curious to to go back and re-examine always because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will have dated very badly. But the last time I saw it, like I say, it, to me it has a very timeless feel because you know there's Spielberg's not... movies, even when they date, they don't date badly because they look right. like when they were filmed. So right, his '80s exactly. movies look like the '80s and they're set in the '80s. They don't look at like the '80s wherein they have the like Ghost where they have the cheesy music. 
and the the editing and lighting style. Spielberg is almost a, he's a classical director. So when you have when you have that damage like uh, his seventies movies, yeah, the people look like they're in the seventies, but that's a strength because the movies are set in the seventies, so right. it works, you know. Whereas right. movies that you know look like a seventies movie because it's got chanka chank music and and flash cuts and you know zooms and and all that stuff, you know, that's when it feels dated. I tell you what, I'm so glad that I took all the notes I did because you know we actually managed to get through them all, and I was I was nervous as hell that this movie was almost two and a half hours, and I thought, man, you know, I, I really hope we didn't have some like serious downtime and some serious gaps, but I think we carried the conversation. There's a lot to talk about with almost this movie. through the entire movie, and that's that's great because nothing irritates me more than than a movie commentary that you know has these vast gaps where you just kind of get sucked in and forget to talk you know uh you know yeah but i gotta say um this is funny because when um when uh it's already up now but the um one of our earlier christmas present quote unquote episodes this this month was uh you and your son scotty doing die hard Mm -hmm. and like you were mailing it to me through Skype the night before, but then you had to record a podcast, so I thought you cut it off and I forgot you'd sent it to me and and I was asking you, so what's on that stocking stuffer? And you're like, oh, you haven't listened to it? I sent it to you, so I went and listened to it and I was like, oh, I, I think we were at the phone at the time and I was like, what is it? Star Trek the motion picture, blah blah blah, and then it's Die Hard, and I was like, oh, okay, and uh, it was playing, and then I and then you know we got off the phone and I was doing something in my room. And I just got sucked into it. But there were quite a few little spots where, like, you and Scotty would get... I mean, it's diehard. You get sucked into the movie. Exactly. But that wasn't bothering me at all. It was It was sort of working into the rhythm of, you know... I don't think you have... And what I'm saying is I don't think you have to talk all the time. I think sometimes there's a rhythm to watching a movie to where when, you know... I mean, sometimes you if you want to get the commentary track on the DVD that you bought, then you get the filmmakers or the cinematographers who tell you all the stuff behind the scenes. Right. But if you got two guys talking shit or just, you know, shooting the shit through a movie, sometimes those little pauses have the feel of sitting around watching a movie with your friends, you know? You're, exactly. And, Which and is that's what I, I was feeling feel. like. Well, I felt like I was sitting there with you and Scotty, you know, I could sort of see Scotty sitting off to the side, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and and sometimes there would be a pause, and then you'd hear both of you just sort of laugh a little bit and stuff. So, yeah, I don't. Um, this one, I when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, oh yeah, there's plenty, because I was I was wondering about that too, because I've never seen the movie that much, so it doesn't have a lot of resonance for me, or I didn't think it would. But then I watched it, and you know, the minute I started tearing up within the first ten minutes, it's like, okay, I'll have plenty to, <laughs> you know, put into this into this movie you know it's it's obviously working and it's going to be an interest and it had plenty of stuff just on the first viewing for me to uh address and think about so it's it's uh well i'm 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 just you know i am so glad that you liked it because i was really nervous that you might watch it and be like, nah, I'm a cynical you know, bastard, but, it, but I, I was, I was afraid that you'd just look at it and go, this is just too sugary sweet for me, you know? So sometimes I'm really sometimes it can like, be like that, but you know, 
but I'm a big fan of Spielberg. So, Sp like, you know, somebody trying to be Spielberg and being that sugary sweet would definitely be a turnoff to me. Right. But Spielberg, you know, if he crosses the line, he's, he'll back up, <laughs> you know. He'll, he'll, there's always something to, you know, there's, you know, even if it does get a little too cloying or, or skirt the edges of it, there's always something more going on in a Spielberg movie to keep you satisfied or to keep you from just completely losing interest in it or losing, you know, I've never watched a Spielberg movie where I was just like, ah, oh, fuck this movie, you know? You know, I, I'm sick of you trying to get me to cry or to try to force me to laugh by, you know, giving me visual or audio cues or something. That doesn't happen. With, it happens with plenty of other people, but they're usually trying to do what Spiel. I, I, you know, that's one of his strengths. That's why he's the, you know, the force that he is is exactly. he's able to walk that line without, you know, completely putting you into a sugar coma. <laughs> but he'll walk that line, boy. I'll tell you. <laughs> and this movie really walked the line and it should have bothered me a lot more than it did and and I and I do have definite complaints with it. I do have definite like minor issues with it, but as far as it goes, you know, I mean, I think people only hold it in low regard cuz it's not they they didn't like it and it was a Spielberg movie cuz so they were supposed to love it right out of the bat and maybe they didn't. So, you know, the expectations are high. But if if somebody who wasn't Spielberg put that movie out, who knows what they would have thought of it. You know what I mean? Right. If, the, if there was if it came out of nowhere, there might have been a totally whole different attitude about it. But it's hard to say. But if it had Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman in it, it doesn't matter. It makes it a target automatically when you have the big names attached to it. And that was just the beginning of that 90s grunge, cynical time period where it wasn't cool to like happy kid movies. Right. And to me, it just, there's something about it that just speaks to me on a, on a very basic level because there's a number of different messages going on there, you know, about lost innocence and lost love and, you know, reconnecting with the things that are important. And just, you know, there's a number of different things there, you know, all Never of which losing touch of which with being a kid, but at the same time kid, you yeah. have to grow up. You know that that you know they, you know the 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 the, the struggle between the urge to, to be a kid and not have response. You know, I think it's about finding that fusion of having the responsibility of an adult with the imagination and right. you know the the level of play and you know treating life as a game and fun of a kid. You know. Yeah. And it was well, about know, him integrating that. He was he was going from one extreme to the other, and by the end of the movie, he's got both of those natures integrated into him. Right. But, you know, the, the, the messages in the movie, you know, all of which or any of which could come across or, you know, could seem to someone that, you know, wasn't buying into it or was too cynical or what to be, you know, really corny or, or you know, really cheesy or whatever, but... To me, I, I, I don't see it that way. I mean, yes, there are moments that are a little too saccharine, you Cloying, know, but yeah, yeah. But for the most part, it really does work for me. It does because I like that kind of thing. So, well, that's the thing. It's um, and uh, I know I know um, 
um, Michael Bailey's a, a big fan of this movie too, and you you two are two very you know you you two are two of the most sentimental people. I don't know Michael Bailey as well as you. I haven't known him as long, but I get the strong sense that he's a very sentimental <laughs> person. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, I mean I mean this movie is made for people like you guys. You know I can see why you guys would eat it with a spoon. I ate it up with a spoon, and I'm a bastard. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I should, and and I am cynical enough to to go like to roll my eyes at a movie like this too. You know, I'm, I am though. I I notice I am an easy sell a lot of the times. I'm a lot of the times the guy who's like, you know, that was pretty good, <laughs> and stuff that I think is pretty good. You know, I hear a lot of people will just go nuts on it, and I'll be a little more. I don't know. I don't know why I should be so forgiving because I do just hate most everything maybe it's because most <laughs> of the stuff we talk about is stuff that i like on some level anyway if we we're talking about like jersey shore on our show i guess i could be a lot more uh acerbic <laughs> with stuff but we don't really get our hands on we don't really get our hands on anything that we really hate and when we do it's something like the dark knight you know well. where it's sort of forced into our vision by being such a huge pop culture influence on our in our genre wheelhouse well you know i i noticed something on our forum the other day and it was uh someone reacting to the commentary we just released on generations and saying how much they enjoyed it because it was a love fest you know we we were really bringing the love to that movie and it was more enjoyable for that particular listener to listen to something where we were really passionate about it because we loved it as opposed to something like say dark Knight, where it was just us just mercilessly ripping on it. Now I'm not saying that we're not ever going to do another one like that, but for me personally, I think I'd rather commit to doing well, more movies to... like this that really mean something to me and trying to really flesh that out and, and verbalize it as much as possible. What There's I, very what few I see movies that I hate that I would care enough to, exactly. to talk all yeah. the way through. You know, I'd rather not talk, all, you know, I'd rather not sit there and get worked up about how much I hate it all the way through right. the movie. Dark Knight, there's a reason to do that. You right. know, exactly. it's, it's, it's held in, and you know, and I mean, we might come off as being contrarian for liking stuff like Generation and Hook that other people don't like. I have a feeling there's not as many people out there hating Hook <laughs> you know who listened to our show i bet a lot of people who listen to our show like it you know because they've caught it on tv they didn't catch it and it's right original run of bad publicity and stuff like that all i know is i'm I, I i'm waiting for the for the feedback which may never come but i'm waiting for the feedback on this one that says you know i you know i saw this movie once or you know i i caught it on tv you know, a couple weeks ago something like that and and where they just go you know i, I never thought much of this but i listened to your commentary and i, I re-examined the movie and you know what you, yeah i i get it now well now with you that, saying that it's just going to make it look like they're kissing our ass when I, they write up exactly write that letter. I hope we don't get somebody doing that just to do it but no my my point is that that'll make it all worth it because that happened with star trek the motion picture and it was very it meant a lot to me personally, you know, to, to have not just one person, I mean, a number of people 
sent feedback saying, you know, I never thought much of this movie. Or we even got some that said flat out, you know, I always thought this movie sucked. But, you know, after listening to, you know, your take and, and your, you know, basically your argument for it, I kind of get it now, you know, to a, t- well, that's interesting. Cause I never expect, I never expect it to happen and I never expect for people to do it or to have to do it or they should do it or, right. or whatever It's to change their opinion on stuff like that. I don't, you know, I mean, there's, I, I mean, it's nice when it happens. I'm not against it. And it's interesting that some, that, that like, you know, it's good to know that s- somebody will look at, and I've done that too. I've, looked at seen a movie a different way after hearing somebody talk about it right and and shine a different light on it than i had you know experienced before and and all that but it's weird because i do not expect people to change if somebody hates something i expect them to hate it after i say i like it and and hey no harm done you know everybody got their opinion out there or whatever but i i i it's it's just it's it's always flabbergasting to me when someone's like yeah i gave it another chance and uh because it's usually more than I'll do. <laughs> so. well, you know, hand in hand with that with that comment that was left about you know how much they they like the you know this person liked the commentary for generations was also the comment of they you know rather hear us do something like this where we're we're talking about something we like and and talking it up than tear something down and I, I think there was a, a plea in there for me not to do first contact if it was just oh, going to yeah, be yeah. ripping on it which you know I, I i can see that because i That's don't kind of why you movie. sat out on the, the yeah because w- that was when you were really busy with your new job and right. just, that was when i was sort of taking over for a little while and we we're like yeah we got to get a star trek monthly monday out here what should we do and i think it was might have actually been your idea to be like oh you should do like if you're gonna do a movie do <laughs> first contact because yeah, i'm just not going to do anything but gripe through it you know right. so and, uh, you know that's I, why i was very surprised when you were talking about maybe doing that you know at some point well i just because i i felt kind of weird not not getting not your getting two cents in yeah not getting a <laughs> chance yeah. to, to give the other side but you know i i think i can let that one go and uh and i i would totally be down for uh for doing insurrection see this, this at this point here I almost feel like maybe we should uh, we should tease a couple of the projects that we're thinking about for the new year. What do you think? Oh, sure. Because uh, I know that you and I, we we've come to, you know, we've come to feel that you guys really like the commentaries. I mean, the the feedback and the numbers are showing us the two true freaks commentaries are very popular. So we had discussed the idea, which is good because we like doing them. You like, lot, so. yeah, we like doing them a lot. Um, for one, for one thing, and I'm just going to be perfectly honest. One of the reasons we really like doing is they're easy. You know, it, there's not a whole Relatively. lot of yeah, yeah, not relatively. a lot of editing, not a lot of editing. Yeah, it's like, like doing that. a live radio show. You do it. You know, it even if, if 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 I say something stupid, I'm committed to it because it's it's married to the ongoing commentary of the movie. So you know, I, you can't cut out those ums and dahs that I usually make when I'm going. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I think what we're looking at in the new year is taking our fourth week show, which up till now has never really been themed like the rest of the month is. And the fourth week show will be a commentary. So it'll basically be commentary monthly Monday. 
and we're just we'll, we'll just do you know we'll do one every month so it'll be 12 you know there'll be 12 at least 12 commentaries coming in the in the coming year and i think what we would likely do um as we discussed before um come up with a list of movies throw them up on the forum and let the listeners vote you know all right what which uh-huh. what are the ones you guys want in what order or you know what's what's the one for next month or whatever and do it that way but we definitely have to come up with our list because I know we've had a lot of suggestions for movies that people want to hear us talk about. But for me personally, it comes down to it's got to be a movie I'm I'm fairly intimately familiar with. It's hard for me to go in so we can talk during movie. it. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that I'm really not familiar with or that I'm not interested in, you know, if that doesn't sound terribly whatever rude you know well, you're not gonna have much interesting to say about it too so exactly it's, you know, yeah so because we keep there, getting there's that's, there's that's, it's well, not just pure selfishness <laughs> that you would want to talk right. about stuff that is interesting to you on your podcast because we keep getting <laughs> self-indulgence quest for things like like transformers or gi joe or something and to me i would much rather just get guests Hosting. Well, that's what I say. I don't. I don't count those shows out. In in my brain, I think to myself, and I don't want to make this sound like dismissive, but I think Fat Chance Scott and I are ever going to do that, right? Because we don't know anything about it, right? And with all you know, just the course of getting what we have to get out done, right. stuff like that tends to not stick in our brains. So it's not to the point of where it's like, oh God, I don't want to do fucking Transformers. But, you know, eventually what we'll do, what we'll probably end up doing is getting together a crew of people who do know their Transformers. Right. And you and I can be the the shills or, you know, we could be the guys who are like, well, duh, so what, is, we, what we are can these be Transformer the, things? We can yeah. be the Billy Bob or the or the Elvira that brings the show in and, the, and then let you guys run with, you know, with that. Right. Because the other fear I have in something like that, too is every episode is potentially somebody's first episode. And the last thing I want is to throw something up, you know, on our feed. You know, two true freaks discuss, you know, Transformers the movie, and then somebody who's never listened to us before gets all excited and picks that up and then goes, these assholes don't know Transformers from, you know. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, and then they never listen to us again because right. they think we're just a couple of morons that don't know what they're talking about, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's better to get the experts in to, exactly. to do the heavy lifting in those those uh, circumstances. Well, the other thing I want to tease, and I'm not sure how much we should tease this. You tell me. if the, you, you can judge whether you want to cut this out afterwards. But, you know, I'm really, I'm so, I, I can't overstate how very happy I am that that you really liked this movie and I like this dynamic that works so well I feel in, in this particular commentary of me being very attached to something that was very you know was very light and sweet and and kitty and all that and you being the voice of you know the the hardened cynical bastard we kind of have something in waiting in the wings that's going to be that on a regular monthly basis. Do we want to talk about that at all, or do we want to keep that? Do we want to keep that a secret still? Oh, you, I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what you're talking about. That's how secretive well, we, it is. We had discussed doing a, a new 
was a monthly segment where we would be looking at uh, some some classic works by a certain legendary uh, filmmaker, and uh, and you would be going in cold on a lot of these as just that you know the 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 voice of the uninitiated and cynical viewer. You have no idea. Uh, no, what I'm I don't. Can about, you tell? You? Can you hear the the total <laughs> vacuum? Can you hear my brain going? As I'm trying to figure out how to fake my way out of this one, I have no clue what you're talking about. You and I had discussed doing a a monthly Disney oh, show. Oh yes, where, yes. Where we would be looking. We would basically. I was thinking of a specific person, but yeah, well, Disney. But I think what we would be looking at basically the 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 films the the way i kind of had envisioned the show was was the films and then also some shorts and even some television segments you know some television works that are basically within the when, lifetime when Walt was alive of Walt Disney was alive yeah and basically doing ba- basically the, yes, this is even a name a lot like this show would be this movie Yes. Yeah, very much so because we would be looking at a lot of a lot of movies that personally I feel a lot of them have been mischaracterized over the years as being just light you know light-hearted sappy kitty fair. I think I I'm going to go out on a limb and I I'm going to say that I think you're going to be surprised by at least some of at least some of the earliest movies that I think have kind of gotten a bad reputation of being you know, like this movie, you know, where, yeah, whereas some of the earliest ones, they they had a bit of a bite yeah. to them. You know, they, they weren't entirely, I, I'm not going to say they weren't entirely kid-friendly, but they weren't just kiddie fair. You oh, know what I'll I mean? I'll say this. There were, Disney movies were a completely different story when Walt Disney was alive because yes. I think he really understood the whole, uh, you know, I, I think he knew he couldn't take it as far, but he also knew that a large element of fairy tales is abject horror. <laughs> it's terrible stuff, you know. The the, right. the ugly stepsisters clipping off their toes so they can fit their feet in the glass slippers so the prince will marry them and stuff like that, you know. So he knew right. to that there had to be an edge and that actually that's good for kids to have that edge. That edge, you know, is is helpful and and Mm -hmm. it's funny because you know for stuff that's aimed at such at kids or such a mass audiences of kids he has the reputation disney has a reputation of being pasteurized and homogenized and sterilized and and cleany clean nicey nice but that ain't the case at all you're you're absolutely right there's some intense stuff and you know there's whole generations of people who talk about how they were traumatized when Bambi's mom died and mm-hmm. you know 
and there's a reason for that you know there's there's very you know there's a reason that that the wizard uh, not disney but you know a movie like the wizard of oz has some of the scariest stuff for little kids in it that you could ever imagine you know the and yep and so i think when disney was alive it was more of that when disney was dead you you end up more with the you know the corporation of disney having to make sure to keep themselves completely on you know not to you know that urge not to sully their reputation at all whereas disney could play with his reputation felt more comfortable to play with the reputation more because it was his but now right. the disney company i you know if you're if you're making a uh like say a disney cartoon you're not just you know trying to satisfy the people who are like you know want to censor stuff and and political correctness you're, you're trying to satisfy the whole legacy of walt disney and you don't want to sully it at all so there's almost you know the too much care taken to over an overcompensation because it's sort of like um it reminds me of the way the beatles stuff is handled these days and sort of, uh, you know, the message of the Beatles isn't very rock and roll. It's always peace and love and nice and nice, which was the Beatles were all you need is love and all that. But, you know, John Lennon was a nasty, drug-addled, alcoholic bastard for a good many years and, you know, had a acid tongue and a wicked sense of humor and and Ringo, I'm sure. And I'm sure all of them did. And, and their music was edgy and, and stuff like that. But in the course of time, they've become such a big thing and an important legacy that you don't see anything sort of scandalous, you know, or right. edgy. Right. It's always everybody plays everybody it, safe, plays it yeah. safe and plays it nice because it's something bigger than what, you know, than just four guys. It's this whole thing. And, you know, little kids are going to little kids idolize, you know, there's the whole dynamic that can sort of take away from all that but mm -hmm. you know not to stray too much because you know we could talk about disney all night but it, it does sort of fit in good with hook but yeah there's even and 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 i'd like to say this about these projects we don't know how we're gonna put them out yet not like it's impossible for us to fit them in we're not exactly sure what the scheduling you know we might end up with some rotating thing where you know every right. month you you know one month you'll get this you know we've talked about you know um um and i guess if any of these end up being offensive uh, for for you you don't want to mention them but we've talked about a beavis and butthead podcast oh. and now that they're coming back and that they're awesome it would be totally fun to do um cool. you know there's been talk of superman podcasts of various types which everybody loves a superman podcast and uh and i think we'd be approaching we were talking about doing some of the animated stuff and the tv stuff or you know yeah. especially like the fleischery animations were seem to be like the prime gold of what we really would like but there's been a you know other you know other and then the other animated you know stuff that features superman has been bandied about and uh yeah there's there's all sorts of ideas and um i've been discussing with two of our i don't want to mention their names because one of them i haven't even mentioned it to him actually i'm lying i have only talked with one of them but i have two of our uh two people that uh 
I would really like to see doing a Demanza Corp if they had the time and the inclination doing a Demanza Corp like monthly Doctor Who show, which is a, right. I think a aspect that you know we, we we kind of could have more of in in Two True Freaks Land. Am I am I forgetting anything? We've been talking to we've been talking about um, maybe and maybe you guys have some ideas for these two things. Um, Scott and I have been thinking of actually making some content that we might actually sell. Which right. has always been a tricky thing because we like giving away the show for free and we plan, you know, we just, we want to, so we're just going to end up. Exclusive, yeah, it'd be exclusive it would be something, Yeah, it would be something different than the show because, you know, the one reason, you know, I mean, I wouldn't feel guilty about, like, charging you know, 99 cents or under, you know, some under a dollar amount for each show. I wouldn't feel guilty about, I don't think it would be a killer. And I think the people that like our show wouldn't feel too bad about that. But at the same time, I like giving away free and we've set the pre precedent of being free. And I would hate to be that dick who's like, Hey, guess what? All of a sudden you have to pay for two trip freaks. That's bullshit. So no, that's it's never, never going to happen. happen. I'll, I'll go on record right now saying that's never going to happen. However, and we have considered, you know, certain special projects, making them exclusive content. We're also just to kind of pay the bills. To be well, honest. we're also sketchy about you know selling like our show when we so liberally use soundtrack music and stuff like that. I don't, I don't right. like the idea of making you know. I, I don't I have no problem with using it in our podcast at all. I feel no remorse over that and I don't think we're doing us we're slighting anybody by doing that. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. But if we were getting money for it, then I would start feeling a little sketchy about it. Then I would start feeling about like we're using somebody else's hard work and then it would and then, you know, I wouldn't even have a problem of okay, we're making money so a certain percentage of it goes to so you know every six months john williams gets ten dollars from us or something i'm sure it would be a lot more than that though but if it's some <laughs> percentage of what we make you know on the show it goes you know royalties or something you know i wouldn't have a problem with paying the royalties i have a problem with all the fucking work it would take for to track down every track and, and <laughs> track down every copyright holder and make sure they got their power. Oh my God, it would be it would take up all my time. I wouldn't have that would be a I wouldn't have time to make a living on eBay or anything. I'd just be doing pod. I would spend more time doing research on who we owed money to rather than even editing a podcast. So you know, if you guys have any ideas of stuff that you would pay for, we've thought about a um of commentaries. Or uh, interviews, maybe. Um, we've, we're, we're thinking about writing a Two True Freaks book. So what kind of Two True Freaks book would you read? <laughs> we've had some ideas about what to, what to write about, you know. and uh, But uh, that would be totally up in the air. But that seems like something that would be really fun to do. And I would love to see what, mm -hmm. kind, of, what kind of book the, the two of us would, uh, would poop out if, uh, you know... <laughs> I think the bottom line in this conversation, though, is that we, we have a number of ideas floating around in our heads, a, a number of ideas that are kind of tentatively in the queue. So, uh, you know, send us some uh, some Feel feedback, to, get on yeah. the forum, 
Yeah, let us know what what ideas have we tossed around that excite you guys. Uh, which ones could do you care less about, and uh, which ones, you know, have you thought of yourselves that uh, that maybe we would be interested in? You know, that you 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 know you kind of want to sell to us, basically. And so, all you people uh, so who don't, you guys don't come to our that. forums, come to our forums. It's free. I don't even think you have to sign up to read them. I think you can just go there and read them. Yeah, just lurk. You can just yeah, lurk on them. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, um, really, you guys are missing out on, a, on whole aspects of Two True Freaks if you're listening and you're not hanging out at the forum, reading or, or, or not, or, or participating or not, lurking or participating, because... There's always a lot of interesting, you know, a lot of things that get brought up in the show get expanded upon and a lot of things that we say that are completely wrong get corrected. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thanks Luke. <laughs> Luke and uh, Biblio Mike especially are very handy for uh for uh you know, figuring out when we're wrong or those things that we're sitting there in the show going Remember that show when this happened? What show was that? I have no idea, but remember that, you know, those those guys, you know, there's always somebody who's going to gonna be able to help us. We do we, we sort of use that as a crutch at our show a lot. We'll go, ah, oh, somebody will tell <laughs> us in the forums. So, yeah. Get, yeah, it basically comes down to, I can't be bothered, but Biblio Mike, he's got tons of time on his hand. He'll tell <laughs> us. <laughs> Again, thank you guys for uh, for sticking with us. We're glad that you uh, enjoy the show. Thank you for downloading, and uh, be sure to come back and uh, be with us in 2012. The final year of the Mayan calendar. <laughs> A year from now, it's all over, dudes. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks.
And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.